Welcome to the PriceBlow podcast powered by pre-workouts. PriceBlow is an online tech and media company that provides nutrition industry news, reviews, and interviews with a heavy emphasis on supplementation and sports nutrition. Our system provides supplement deals and price alerts, but in this podcast, we'll explore all things related to performance optimization, industry happenings, and far more. Thanks for joining us and welcome to PriceBlow. Welcome back, everyone. This is Mike here. So in early 2018, we had the legendary Bruce Neller fly into Austin to make a major announcement. And that was the fact that he was no longer with Giant Sports Products. Bruce then went on to tell us about his future plans. And he uh, backtracked and talked about his history at not only Giant Sports, but also Gaspari Nutrition. So there's some really good stories there. While we had Bruce, we went on a series of interviews, which we'll get into. But first and foremost, he also allowed us to try his latest and greatest stimulant. Unfortunately, it's still not on the market because he's still waiting for the patent and trademark office to do their thing. But I can tell you that this was a phenomenal experience and I had so much fun literally just sitting there and asking Bruce questions and I almost wish that I was able to talk more because it was such a unique experience. And since this interview, others have been dosed with this stimulant as Bruce puts it and they've had similar experiences. So we're gonna keep an eye out for that. Meanwhile, we talked about a lot of different hot topics such as uh, research chemicals and kratom and even CBD oil, even though the CBD oil laws have changed since recording this. We also talked about TNFTN and later on in the day, industry consultant Josh Shaw came in and we talked about how to market to millennials as well. So that's all gonna be here. You're gonna hear uh, a various amount of interviews, but it was all throughout one awesome, awesome day powered by Bruce's new stimulant, which we hope can hit to the market. And you'll have to subscribe to PriceFall because you know you'll, we'll be talking about that when that comes out. So without any further ado, the legendary Bruce Neller. You were at Giant Sports. Before that though, the, the, the most like infamous time was Gaspari Nutrition. And so, <laughs> what were some of the funny stories? Like, there was like, wasn't there one story where you had like Rich's car in the rafters or something crazy like that? Welcome to Price Plow. All right, welcome to Price Plow. My name is Mike and I am here with the infamous world-class Supplement formulator Bruce Neller. Giving me way too much credit, Mike. Way world class, Bruce. World, world class. class. So we're gonna, this, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna treat this like kind of a podcast style interview. Today is February. What is it? Twentieth ish. Twenty second. Twenty. Yeah. Yeah. It's like okay. That. So it's yeah. Late February of twenty eighteen, and Bruce uh, wanted to fly here into Austin, Texas. So welcome to. Welcome to Texas. Uh, the weather you guys have arranged for me is a little bit. Uh, to, you know, being, it leaves a little bit to be desired, but. Uh, other than that, so far pretty good. We had a great barbecue last night. We met another guy from the industry, so so far so good, man. Yeah, yeah, and you, you brought some New Jersey over here. So, uh, But Bruce does have a big announcement to make, so we want to cut right to the chase and kind of what I wanted to do here is uh, have you talk about your announcement, tell us what you're going to be doing in the future and how what's going on, and then kind of like give, get a little bit about the, the history of Bruce Neller and kind of go backwards in time and get some good some of the good fun stories. and The good fun know, stories, the, the fun gossip. Stories. Yeah, the a, little bit, a little bit of the gossip that, yeah. that you could let go of, but you know, it doesn't need to be a negative drama. It could be just, you know, there, I know there's a lot of fun stories out there too, so I'm going to see if we can beat some of those out of you. Well, um, for those who don't know, I'm no longer with Giant Sports. I'm not working for Donald Trump and I'm building walls. But. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I had to do that. And for those for those who uh, listen to this on an audio podcast, he's wearing a Trump construction shirt. Yeah, so. <laughs> building walls since 2000. And the video has already been demonetized. <laughs> YouTube you loves it. <laughs> right. They're going to ban it, right? Yeah, oh yeah, um, we're well, done. Out of the two things I just said, one thing is true. I'm no longer with Giant Sports. I don't own any equity in the company, and I'm no longer an employee with the company. You did uh, own equity beforehand? Yeah, I'm no mm -hmm. longer with the company, and um, 
that's been since December 31st of 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to preface all this by saying uh, I left on great terms. Uh, it's a great company. The people that own it and work there are the best people in the industry. Uh, I can't say enough good things about Joe Babick. He and I have been partners for more than a decade now. He's like one of the nicest guys in the world. Uh, Pete Youngsberger, who's the other uh, owner, you couldn't you couldn't ask for a better friend in the world. Like literally, I can't think of anybody in the world that's ever been a, a better friend to anybody else than, than Pete has. Uh, the whole staff there, you know, Helga, Jess, uh, Rob, um, Eric, uh, I'm missing a few people here, but I mean, they're all, you know, world-class good people that are, that are good with uh, what they do. Uh, it's just that, um, yeah, so all the positive things, why leave them? What's, what's going on? You know, for, I haven't been happy for a while. And uh, I guess uh, money is less important to me than happiness is. You know, I've got kids that are five years old. I've got twins. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to spend more time with them. And I want to go in a different direction. And if you've noticed, uh, in the last year, Giant's really gone in a very different direction. Yeah. Okay, if you look at what they're selling now, it's less sports nutrition and more kind of weight loss and, and general health. And that's a good thing, I think, for them. Uh, I think that's a much uh, better and bigger segment of the industry. Uh, it's just that uh, it was a little too little, too late. Um, I'm not saying I pushed them in that direction. I mean, it was a team effort, of, of course, um, and, and and whatnot. But but uh, you pushed them in that direction. But I, I kinda, I've, been, I've, been, I've been harping on it for for a while now, um, and I'm glad to see that they're doing that. I think they'll be hugely successful in that. Um, as a matter of fact, I know. I mean, I know some of the stuff that they're going to launch, and it's going to be, you know, you know, revolutionary, groundbreaking stuff. Not just you know, run of the mill, you know, general health stuff. Some of the stuff's really interesting. I mean, look at keto cocoa and keto coffee. Uh, absolutely, I mean, keto dominating. cocoa is the best low carb product ever. So, you formulated keto cocoa? No, I worked on that with Joe Babic. What it was was kind of like my idea. Oh, I, like, I don't even want to say that. It was a group effort. I mean, we were sitting around one day and we we're talking about what kind of low carb stuff would people like to have, and I go, well. People like to have a chocolate with no carbs in it. So, you know, we had some material from Sensory Effects in the office, and we uh, ended up saying, "Why don't we make a a, a, a keto cocoa? Let's see how it works with hot water." Mm -hmm. So, you know, the three of us kind of worked on it that day, and it worked out really well. Kind of like the same thing with keto coffee and and some of the other, uh, you know. I guess, I don't call them eccentric, but a little different products that Giant does, you know? And so the ones that are coming out though, those you are like less and less hands-on, of course, and... Right. You do, okay, so they're, they're moving on without, without you as well, but... Um, and they're gonna be fine. I mean, you know, so don't people handle it fine. So would you say that you, you wanted to get more into the diet sector and you kind of pulled the company in it and then you just left, or like... No, it's not even that. Um, it's just that I wanted to do more, uh, I guess to say raw ingredients, and, and Giant really doesn't do that at all. Uh, I, I wanted to do that for a while. I what do you mean like raw ingredients, like a tub of beta alanine? Or, yeah, like, exactly. or do you want to like be a supplier? I have some ideas for some new, some new raw ingredients. Uh, some of it is you know, patent pending, and hopefully uh, I'll get notices of allowance soon from the US Patent Office, but uh, I've wanted to do that. I, I think that's kind of where my future lies. Uh, I don't like sports nutrition. I, I really have a strong distaste for that, as we discussed <laughs> off so, camera. So Bruce has been making it very clear that he's, he's done with sports nutrition. And, and if, the more you get into this, this sector of the industry, because this is really a small niche out of a very large supplement industry, out of even a larger nutrition industry and functional foods industry, right. there's a lot of people who have their foot out the door out of sports nutrition or they have like an exit strategy or something because oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's an industry that's, that's kind of like churns through guys in their 20s and 30s, it seems like. And mm -hmm. 
eventually. And I'm going to be 50. Yeah, so, once you're right. 50, you're like, F this. And the easier than I am, right? Right. Yeah. And so, it, it, yeah, it's not surprising to hear um, that you can't be, you know, you can't be slinging pre-workouts into your 60s. Like, that's just... And not, and not, you and can't, not, I not guess, be but, saying, right? right not, not exactly. saying that I am saying, but um, I, I guess the point is, uh, and we'll talk about this later when we do our segment with Josh Shaw about where the, the nutrition and sports nutrition industry is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to say it doesn't have a future, it always will be there, but um, the size of the sports nutrition industry, in my opinion, is becoming smaller, and the number of companies are becoming bigger, and FDA regulations are becoming more strict. So it's getting harder and harder to, to really. Uh, you know, make a substantial profit and margin creep is just, it's just terrible. And not, not only that, the worst thing about it is, you know, I don't really much like most of the people in sports nutrition. I, I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I, I mean, I can count on both my hands the number of people that I would want to, you know, maybe do business with. Most people I don't trust. Uh, most people, uh, yeah, I'm just being honest. Uh, you know, yeah, no, that's most why we're of here. folks are, are, are straight thieves and liars and cheats. And, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that like you know, general health is a little different. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it's just the same thing with a different face. But you know, I kind of aim to find out. Uh, same thing. So with you the- are going to be going to general health, but wait first. Okay, give me one story of how so you've been I, thieved I, from. Uh, well, I mean, you don't have to name any names or brands or anything, but like, give me an example of how someone could thieve someone. Uh, if you're working at a company, say like Giant Sports. All right, I'll, I'll give you an attempted thief thing. That I actually <laughs> stopped the person from ripping me off. Uh-huh. So as, as you guys know, I'm working on a new stem that I actually had before that. And we, yeah, and we took it before this video right. and CJ and I are kind of starting to feel it. We're going to go and talk about that in a little bit. So subscribe to our channel and you'll find that eventually. And it, it's patent pending. I didn't have the, the, uh, the, the patent application published. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't want anybody to see what it is. So I've been trying to sort of like pre-sell it and I've told some folks about it. And I, I sent some samples out to one company and it had you know my name and my a supplement company, company. A like supplement the folks co- that run. A, a sports nutrition company gotcha. that's yes, right. right and i got a phone call from uh, a laboratory asking me for more stuff because they were trying to reverse engineer and analyze what i sent them after <laughs> after i was nice enough to send them a sample of course like, they were well but i mean that's the kind of like like shitbag thing that <laughs> sports nutrition people do right so i mean that was just you know one example i've been you know promised money i've had uh, money owed to me contractually that was like millions of dollars that I've been screwed out of. So I've just had enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for me, I, I, you know, raw ingredients will sort of limit my exposure to certainly the sports nutrition people. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm also um, working, well, let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, I've been looking to get out for a while. I mean, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, since probably 2016, kind of when I decided that I wanted that maybe do something else, albeit I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started poking around. At around that time, uh, a good friend of mine, Rick Collins, who was like the preeminent attorney in the sports right. industry. I mean, there's Rick and then there's everybody else. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just like, I can't say enough good stuff about the guy. Uh, he, he's an excellent attorney and an even better friend. Rick uh, kind of helped me get some speaking gigs with Informa. And Steve Myers, who's like my contact over there, is another great guy. Can't say enough good things about that entire group of people, Alyssa Sanchez and whatnot. And they started getting me speaking gigs at like supply side and, and things like that. And as I was doing these these things, uh, I, I found out that people actually wanted to hear what I had to say. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like really stunned that like you know, 250, 300 people would show up for a lecture that I was doing. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was really uh, it, it opened my eyes. And then after the lectures, we'd have people that. Uh, would kind of like like I don't want to say like mug me, but we come around and want to talk, mm-hmm. or they'd see me in the hotel lobby and they want to know if I wanted to do business. So uh, after going through this for about a year or so, I, it made me feel like I had some really 
important self-worth and there was things that I could do for other companies on a consulting basis. Mm -hmm. Also around that time, there were some folks from overseas that were also coming to these events that wanted to break into, uh, we'll say the nutrition realm, but didn't really know how to do it or what they wanted to do. And um, unfortunately, uh, they approached me uh, at the Mandalay Bay at Supply Side West, you know, right before the, the unfortunate shooting. Right. And they, they sat me down and bought me dinner and said, this is who we are. And uh, we'd like you to maybe uh, come join us in some sort of a venture. Uh, I wasn't quite ready at the time. Um, I was pretty close. Uh, and we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then mm -hmm. a few things that I don't need to necessarily get into because they're sort of you know, personal outside the industry could have happened. And I decided, well, you know what, this is the time for me uh, to do that. So um, a lot of people should have been seeing this, but I'm surprised they haven't because I've kind of been dropping hints on my, my Facebook page. But uh, I went to Hong Kong to meet with these guys, and uh, we started what is essentially a, a private equity firm. I mean, ultimately, that's what it is. There's, there's four partners. that they own a, We own a private equity firm. I'm a minority partner. And the, the goal is to make money in nutrition, mostly by selling products made in the United States along the Australasia Rim. So, I mean, that so, can see a lot of stuff in the States here. So the plan is with this group, you're going to make products in the USA, sell it in Asia, and then it'll have like Made in the USA sticker on it or something like right. that. Right, I mean, the idea right. is to develop like a famous brand here in the States uh, on, on some level. I'm not sure how we're gonna do that yet. Uh, probably by punting stuff over to like, you know, some of the big distributors and retailers so we can get some exposure and, and maybe putting some of the stuff on Amazon. Uh, but uh, getting it so there's some demand over uh, in in Asia on some of the in some of the free trade zones. But so, okay, yeah. But most of the ingredients come from China, right? I would say outside of protein, uh, almost all of the ingredients come from China. So you're gonna ship it from China, bottle it in America, and then and then market it back to Asia. Oh, it's a little more than that. We have to put it together and flavor it and put together you know products that people want. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, it's not just take it, dump it in a bottle. You slap a label on it, rinse and repeat. I mean, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's one of the things that that I'm doing with them. Uh, and, and that's so that's like kind of like on the, the consumer brand side of things. Right. That you're doing with and them. it's not going to be one brand. It's going to be multiple brands. And again, I want to emphasize, it's not America is not really a big focus. The West isn't. Certainly, mm -hmm. uh, Asia is. Uh, the, uh, I hate to quote Barack Obama, but. Oh, do I hate to quote Barack Obama, but um, it's kind of like a pivot towards Asia for, uh -huh. for me. Oh, right. Gotcha. right. We're pivoting towards Asia. That's where I feel, um, you know, the nutrition market is best for people looking to, you know, make uh, mm -hmm. a decent return on their investment. And, you know, on top of that, it'll be very little to none sports nutrition. If right. you consider protein powder to be sports nutrition, then yeah, I guess I'm still doing sports nutrition, but most of it's going to be, you know, general health and things that... Like vitamin D, joint supplements? Yeah, stuff like that. Like, like you know, like a glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the vitamin Ds are always big, the biotin, the soy lecithin, all the things that are popular, we'll say, in mainland China and, and on the, the okay. Pacific well, yeah, but there's, I, I mean, I can go online and look at a thousand different vitamin D products. So, like, what... What would you do differently? Are they not being properly marketed to Asia, you think? I think a lot of them aren't being marketed at all to Asia. How does oh, that sound? There you go. Okay. Gotcha. I, I mean, if you don't, you know, get it over there and, and market it and, you know, have somebody on your team that speaks fluent Mandarin, uh, you really can't market it to Asia. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, things that I would do is I want to create value. I want to give bigger doses for, for less money. I want to have more, we'll say, units or servings in the can for less money. So mm -hmm. I want to create value there for the consumer. Um, and again, we can still maintain a pretty good margin by doing that. Um, another thing that I want to do is uh, have full consumer transparency. I know some other folks like 
like uh, you know, Mark Glazier mm -hmm. uh, are sort of doing that, and uh, certainly Amazon's doing that. And Full disclosure in the label, or are you talking about like third-party lab testing? Both. Part? I want to have awesome. a label that's completely transparent. I've been mm -hmm. fighting for that at Giant for a long time now, and I think it's a good thing for consumers. Mm -hmm. Plus, I want to have like a QR code on the label where you can scan it with your phone, and it'll take you to a third-party lab that's done finished product testing on, on the product. Does so, any, anyone use these QR codes? Uh, or you could do it by, yeah, I, I mean, you, you get to the website anyway you yeah, want, right, okay? Yeah. I think the QR code is the easiest way to do it, but mm -hmm. I mean, there are other ways to do it. The point is, the information, <laughs> the information will be available right. for the consumer to see before they buy the product, on, you know, if, they, if they're in a brick and mortar, or, um, or if they do get it, certainly right afterwards, to scan with their, with their smartphone or their handheld device um, and get an independent third-party lab analysis. So to show that, you know, we claim there's 5,000 IUs of D3, and it really meets or exceeds that. And um, you know, one of the things we talked about is I don't understand why other companies don't do this. You know, by law, you you have to do finished product testing. You know, right. so if you're doing it and you're following the law, why would you not want to share it with the consumer that hey, listen, we, we're doing what we're supposed to do by law, and our stuff meets or exceeds label claim. Well, you didn't you didn't do it at Giant. Um, no, there were some reasons for that. Um, so yeah, what is a brand's reason for not doing that? Because I'm starting to ask this question. Like, okay, prove to me your product isn't made in a bathtub, or prove to okay, me that it's so, what's so, on the label is in the bottle. Right, why, so, why is Nutribio the only damn company that's doing that? The biggest problem you run into is once you start doing that, none of the commercial labs, or very few, I know Mark's got one. Um, mm -hmm. not, a lot of the commercial labs don't want to do business with you because what happens is you get massive consumer telephone calls that like clog up their 800 numbers, they want to talk about, you know, so how did you test it? And what were the parameters? And this and that, so they don't want, once you tell them what you're going to do with it, or you do it once and don't tell them when they see it, they don't want to work with you anymore. Right, That's okay. the biggest reason. The other reason why is they're just not doing the finished product testing. And I'm going to go on record here, I'm going to say most of the companies in the industry, certainly in sports nutrition, uh, with the exception of a few, very few, are just not com in compliance with the law. They're not doing uh, finished product testing in any manner at all. They're not doing ingredient testing when the ingredients come into America. So you really have no idea what's in, in the uh, you know in the yeah. bottle. That's and a huge we, And we've seen this with with certain studies that came out where these supposed DMHA supplements were they were like five out of the six of them were caught with one four or one three DMAA and. Uh, the, the troubles, <laughs> troubles coming because of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, big so, troubles coming. But you know what's funny? Before that was unmasked by, by Dr. Peter Cohen, you mm -hmm. and I had some discussion back and forth. You call, you know, there's you called it. I will, I will tell you. <laughs> now, you didn't specifically state those brands, but you knew. And like apparently, as someone who is actually doing the testing, you knew that a lot of this stuff coming in was not, was not DM, the DMHA. And so, Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, at least a year before... The Cohen study was published. You the thing is, like, about yeah, it. The, and the, the thing is, like, okay, from my perspective, what was I to do with that information? I, I, I can't afford to do in, uh, all these lab tests on every brand or, and everything, and so it's tough to like, you know, the label does say DMHA, and we have to take the brand's word for it as, as a, like, let's say from my journalist perspective. But you don't see if they're doing finished product testing, they should be putting that information out there. So, right. uh, you know, without sort of getting too far off into the weeds here and believing the point, true. yeah, okay. Yeah. That's one of the things that I kind of want to do. And so you're going to do that with these new brands that are going to be mostly aimed towards 
towards Asia. Yeah, you might see them on Amazon. You might see them at, you know, maybe at GNC. That might be a place that we might put them. I mean, I know GNC's had some financial problems, but I mean, they're still the big behemoth in the we'll, States. Yeah, we're know? gonna be talking about that this afternoon with Josh Shaw, right. uh, industry consultant and everything. But yeah, have it, so you did mention last night, having it on GNC.com is a, a good thing because like the Chinese may Google for it and you'd just like to have a GNC presence. Yeah, stuff. right, I, I mean, you're right. But again, we'll talk more about that with Josh, about oh, okay. you know, marketing stuff like that and you know why why you would do something where you lose money just, just for the sake of exposure. But right. getting back to why you know I left. So yeah, that, that, that's kind of why I wanted to do something else. On the other hand, I'm, I'm actively working and have been with some, I'm not gonna mention names, but uh, I'll just say some pretty, pretty, pretty big heavyweights from ISSN, which is, again, like the preeminent sports nutrition and maybe even the most preeminent nutrition uh, professional organization mm-hmm. in the world. And we've been, uh, me and uh, some people that are like heavy hitters in it, have been working in a lab uh, to create and come up with you know, new dietary ingredients that are Deshaya compliant. And uh, I want to get those to market as, as soon as I can. I want to get those production wrapped up. Mm-hmm. And I see for me personally, just a lot more self-fulfillment doing what kind, that. I have two questions. First off, what kind of ingredients are we talking about? Is this like the stimulant? And second off, is this, I'm not sure who I'm talking to right now. Is this Bruce Neller separately or is this Bruce Neller with these Chinese equity firm Hong Kong guys? Well, it's Bruce, it's both. It's Bruce Neller separately because anything that I had IP before I started this company with them as mine, but going forward, you know, it, it'd be probably shared IP with them. I'm going to run it. Right. Run okay. So this ISSN stuff. Right. You know, that's I, I would. It's not ISSN. It's just people. Stuff. It's just people who are, you know, we'll say preeminent, prominent figures in the ISSN. Oh, in those groups and everything. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, you, you want to know what where it's going? Yeah, the stem is mine. Okay. Gotcha. And, yeah, and, that's, and that's going to be one that I'll figure out what I'm going to do with once I uh, I have it. Um, you know, some sort of a, a notice of allowance for patent claims. But some of the other ones I'm working on, they don't have anything to do with sports nutrition. There's just general health, uh, some amazing, you know, say anti-inflammatories, antioxidants, uh, just overall general healthy stuff. Some of them are more of food stuff than, than strictly, you know, mm-hmm. stuff, something you'd see in a pill. Have we started Googling for you and Google patents, are we gonna find more stuff now? Probably not. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I, I, so I learned my lesson there too. I don't publish any of my, my patent applications anymore mm-hmm. because once you do that, People search your name, they see what you're working on, and they just steal it. So that's happened like new, way too many times for me. So you know, I'm all I'm all done with that. But yeah, I'm looking for more general health for you know. I mean, you can't make structure function claims like you know lowers cholesterol or you know is is you know it's going to help lower blood pressure. But a lot of these things will have you know those kind of effects. And again, mm-hmm. a, a much more. Um, older market, mature market. Okay, so how does it work? Let's say you have a new ingredient, you have some sort of spin on omega-3 or whatever that uh, that has some of these beneficial benefits. What do you do next? Okay, I got this patent for this cool ingredient and it's under it's under your equity group, let's say, this time. Now what? Great, What's so we, the business we, plan? We, we, the business plan is we need to find somebody to, to scale it up from doing a you know, small one or five kilo you know, desktop, bench top, batches and scale it up to production level where we can make a lot of it and maybe you know bring the cost down and and and, and whatnot so it's and, a manufacturing facility yeah to manufacturing do that. facility needs to do that mm-hmm. and then you need to either you know put it in a finished product and sell it yourself or you know bring it to the united states or elsewhere and either sell it yourself to other companies to Put in their product, or have somebody do that on your behalf. Where does that, so? Where does a brand like Compound Solutions uh, or a company like Compound Solutions fit into something like this? Could they be someone that would sell it for you? Then absolutely. It's funny you mentioned Matt. 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 I've done. Some I didn't business. mention Matt. I mentioned. Like, uh, well, but Matt is the yeah. Matt. Matt Tillo is the CEO. Right. A, a great guy, by the way. Um, <laughs> 
you know, like I said, done a little bit of work with him on, on a few things. He's a very easygoing guy and he's mm -hmm. definitely made a name for himself doing just that. And yeah, he's a, he's a guy that would market uh, a variety of proprietary and patented uh, ingredients to, we'll say, contract manufacturing companies and brands that want to have, you know, something a little bit different or mm -hmm. something a little cutting edge. So he'd be someone I would go to. I mean, there's tons of companies that, like Vitajoy is a company I've done work with. Uh, the owner of that company is an amazing guy. His name is Gudan. Probably one of the most honest people in the industry from a brokerage standpoint and a uh, raw material standpoint. He just hired another good friend of mine, Casey Crane, uh, who was with BSM oh, really? for, yeah. Yeah, for a while. Casey's the vice president mm -hmm. of marketing and, and sales. And you know, again, can't say enough good things about these folks. Uh, there's some of the, the limited few people in the industry that I really like. Um, so someone like that. So you wouldn't plan on like selling your ingredient yourself to every like every last small brand. You would like to have a broker kind of do that, or I, I'm not sure yet. I'm not okay. gonna. Maybe yes and no. Okay. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe I would have some of them might be more appropriate to have you know like a Glanvia or a Horn distribute them mm -hmm. because they can get you know bigger reach than I can get myself. Other ones are going to be more niche, and I may want to have more control over the product. So I'll give you an example. This stem here uh, that you took, okay. I'm going to be in full control of that. So I'm only going to license it to a few companies. And in addition to that, I'm going to set a dosage limit to it, meaning they can't go over a certain amount of milligrams per serving. I don't want anybody to get hurt. So how would that work? You, you say, I'm only going to, you make them sign a contract. You yes. can only use this patented ingredient that you can only get from me or whatever. Right. And you have to put it per serving 100 milligrams or whatever. Right. You can't exceed 100 milligrams per serving. Uh, and if they did, that would be you know a material breach of the contract. Okay. I don't want anybody to get hurt by anything. And I'm not saying anything, any of these stims are dangerous or safe. I'm just saying that I want to be as safe as possible. And I've seen some pretty uh, irresponsible dosing right. of stims, in, especially in the pre-workout realm, where mm -hmm. you're just seeing monster dosages of caffeine, you know, three, 400 milligrams, 500 milligrams of caffeine. Uh, even with some of the, the PEA stuff, it's just getting to be uh, a little too high. And mm -hmm. part of that is because, you know, the crackhead consumer sports nutrition people want these ridiculously strong not necessarily safe or effective, but strong where they really feel it, pre-workout things. <laughs> and so is that, is that you just getting old or is this, the, it, the caffeine trend has been going up. Like where, where does it end? Uh, that's, that, you're right, where does it end? I think it ends with, with unfortunately, people maybe getting hurt. Uh, and then you're gonna see, that's the worst thing that can happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't want anybody to ever get hurt, you know, injured, uh, taking your product. But worse than that, the damage it does to the industry, it just makes, you know, the whole industry looked terrible. Again, right. another reason for me to leave sports nutrition. Right, you know? and that's the way I start, I'm starting to understand it, is like the, the greater supplement industry really, like sports nutrition is the redheaded stepchild that everyone hates or Absolutely. something like that. Like, we're just kind of causing trouble here. Now here's my kind of prediction though, and <laughs> feel free to argue, this stim, this stim of yours is gonna get hot, and it's, it's good, I like it, I'm feeling good. But um, it's, gonna, it's gonna be popular, and it's gonna take up all your time, and it's gonna be your life, and you're gonna be stuck in sports nutrition again. Well, I mean, the stim, <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, you know, the other thing I could just do if it got really busy like that is I could just sell the IP to you know, some other company and walk away with a big check. Okay, and then I don't have to do it anymore. Right. Um, I don't have to deal with the, the, the colorful, mercurial characters that inhabit the subscription <laughs> realm. But, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, I can see what you're saying. I mean, you know, I may get dragged back into it kicking and screaming whether I like it or not. Uh, if you have a product that's hot for some reason in sports nutrition, you obviously want to sell it in sports mm -hmm. nutrition to make your money. But um, I'm really not going to focus as much time as everybody thinks. It, I would like it to be less than 15 to 20 percent of my time. Most of my time would be on uh, creating new and exciting and the shea compliant ingredients for 
general health and nutrition mm -hmm. overall. Uh, the rest of that should be, uh, you know, building brands to send over to Asia and we'll say Australia and you know, maybe Indonesia or India. But that's all part of Asia anyway. And uh, and that's an awful lot for me to, to keep me busy for the yeah, time being. For you know? sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what, let's get back to like kind of talking about Bruce Neller then. What really is, is your end game? Is this your passion in general? Or like, is there a certain amount of money that I can write you a check and be like, walk the fuck away right now? And Absolutely, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You won't, okay. Uh, I, I mean, like, like well, we've discussed this before actually. How much money do you need to, you know, basically, you know, put it into some kind of investment where you can live off of a passive income? Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be my, my ultimate goal. I'm not too far away from it. Okay, but nice. uh, I'd like to be able within those two kids are yeah bringing the number up a little bit and daddy the spoils time, them so uh, yeah. yeah by the time they're in college it'll be half a million for that alone so. right so that's 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 <laughs> yeah I got a I got a plan on inflation and stuff like that yeah. but um I mean yeah I'd like to retire eventually I'm getting older I'm one of the older guys in the industry now mm -hmm. I'm not the oldest there's definitely people that right. are older than I am but uh, I got to start thinking about you know I need to you know have some me time and some cool. hobby and fun. Kind of so time. yeah, so you were at Giant Sports. Before that, though, the the, the most like infamous time was Gaspari Nutrition. And so, <laughs> oh wow, okay. Hey guys, what's up, guys? And so I, I don't think it's any secret that you know you and Rich separated with Bad Blood. But what I, what I thought was interesting is that when we. Um, I was out there in New Jersey with you, and we were out drinking and everything, and you started telling stories, and. All the stories that were actually like very good. I'm like, dude, you had a lot of good memories. Yeah, and I so, did. Like you guys, you in the heyday, the the big blue. Right. You guys were killing it. Right. You were having fun, and it seemed like you know, obviously crazy things were happening and everything, but you seemed like you were having fun. Like, yeah. what were some of the funny stories? Like, there was like wasn't there one story where you had like Rich's car in the rafters or something crazy like that? Or? Uh, we we took uh, his uh, jet ski and we pallet wrapped <laughs> it to the rafters. I mean, we, I mean we, we would play all kinds of practical jokes uh, on. Uh, on everybody, I mean, it was fun. I'll say this, okay, as time goes on, you, you know, you forget about the bad stuff mm -hmm. and you just remember the good stuff. I mean, uh, Gaspari Nutrition was, for a while there, it was the biggest company going. It was an unmitigated success. Um, it was the right time in the industry and it had the right team at the time. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately the industry changed and some of the people that worked there, including myself, changed and it wasn't right anymore. And um, So you were a big piece of that puzzle. Were you formulating like, Super Pump 250, was that you? Was that? Uh, rather than trying to take credit for everything myself, like there's other people that are kind of doing that, mm -hmm. I'm just going to say everybody there had influence on all the products from, you know, the actual plastic bottle to the label to, you know, what's in it. I mean, it'd be very easy for me to say I did everything. Um, whether I did or not, it's really not fair. Uh, at the end of the day, I'd probably, uh, I'd say um, the success and failure of the company stops with Rich. I mean, he's the CEO and president. So as much mm -hmm. as anybody else would say, well, you know, I did this and that's why it made money. I mean, he was the guy that had to pull the trigger or not. Right. Um, so, I mean, all, all that happened, good or bad, ultimately is a reflection on his ability uh, as a, a professional manager to handle it. So, and by the way, I mean, I wish all those guys there uh, that were there when I was there, everybody, the best of luck. I hope they're happy with what they're doing. I hope they have a lot of success. Um, you know, it's going on a long time now. So, I mean... Yeah, you're right. We left on, on bad terms. There's no reason why I'm going to focus on that anymore. I've got, I'm on to bigger and better things. I hope mm -hmm. they are too. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there's anything really to be gained by, you know, eight years out when, after I left or seven years out after I left to, you know, focus on the bad things or focus on negative experiences I may have had with, 
you know, certain people that work there. There's no benefit to me, there's no benefit to them. So, uh, folks, if you're seeing this and, and you know who you are, seriously, all the best to you. I hope you're happy. I hope you're having a lot of success and are able to self-actualize with what you're doing. I mean, I'm, I've moved on and um, I hope if we run into each other that we can be professional and polite and courteous. Cool. Oh, thank you. Uh, any any good stories? Like, come on, you, something happened yeah, at a trade show. Uh, come on. What happened at the 2006 Olympia? Yeah, come on, uh, something uh, had to right, happen. So, uh, yeah, so again, <laughs> practical jokes were kind of a big thing. Uh, I mean, you know, Rich, like a lot of people, looked at the, the the warehouse company as an extension of himself, and he could store his own personal things mm -hmm. there, which we know that's not true. You can't do that. Um, the FDA had come in for a routine GMP inspection and they noticed the jet skis and they weren't happy about the fact that we had, you know, jet skis next to the Sizon and a super pump. Uh, so they obviously, you know, you know, dinged us for it. So, you know, for what, about, Okay, what, what, means, what does the ding mean? They like, noticed it on the 483. They're like, listen, what are you going to do about the jet skis? And you like, have to actually file like a corrective yeah, action Yeah, you have to actually have to, you have 10 days or whatever it is to get back to them. We intend to remove the jet skis. <laughs> and get them. I mean, it's just a nuisance, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Rich let them sit there for another six months. And as much as like, I was like beating on them and other people were beating on them to get rid of them, we wouldn't do it. So, you know, I gave one of the uh, warehouse guys a hundred bucks to take a... a the black pallet wrap, which they use for international stuff, wrap up Rich's jet skis and like, um, and basically pallet wrap them to the girders. So he came in one day looking for his jet skis. Boy, was he, he was just blowing his top. Who stole my jet skis? And meanwhile, like he's like, like literally like right under him. He's talking and the jet skis are above him and everybody's laughing at him. And he, and, well, not at him, they're laughing because it's a right, yeah. joke. And he's getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And we finally let him off the hook, but he was not, he wasn't happy. Like, get him down. <laughs> so uh, you know, that was, that was things that happened. You know, obviously stuff that happens at like trade shows is, is a little bit more risque, so to speak. Mm. But uh, I don't necessarily want to, I don't want to get anybody in trouble maybe with their spouse, you know what I mean? So I'm not going to, but Jeez. I mean, you can imagine the Olympia and, I mean, less the Arnold, but certainly Olympia being in Vegas, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had some, some pretty wild parties and, and times out there uh, for sure. Um, you know, that was the whole thing. The practical joke thing was kind of a, kind of a big deal. And um, yeah, it was fun. We had a lot of good times together. I have a lot of really positive memories, uh, you know, you know, working there. And I, you know, like I said, as time goes on, uh, all of the, the bad stuff or the negative stuff seems to fade into the does it really matter and i just want to remember the you know the good things excellent know? all right well that's all we have for this one so bruce no longer with giant sports um, and no longer with gaspari <laughs> and of course no longer with with gaspari both of them still going strong though uh you can subscribe to our channel because bruce and i have a bunch of more interviews and then later this afternoon after lunch we're going to bring in josh shaw Great. industry consultant we usually have some really good email threads that happen and uh, we're going to talk about different trends happening in the industry we're going to bring cj in for a fitness one uh talk about this new stimulant which uh, honestly i i'm almost jealous because i want to be talking during this interview because i this is stim is good so it's pretty good see? so yeah check out the channel and everything and uh and we're gonna have a whole lot more bruce thank you so much for for choosing price plow to, uh, to how, deliver how this I choose anybody else you guys are like the best i mean i've known mike for a while uh, you know we went to that iron maiden concert together oh, yeah. I mean, and, and you know the barclay center uh in in new york i mean he's just uh the whole, the whole Price Plow team is really good, so uh, you know, can't say enough good, uh, enough good things about them. And definitely, if you're looking to buy something, stop oh. at Price Plow first. All right, thank you. Welcome to Price Plow. I'm gonna say you like it better than DMAA. Well, How's that sound? Wow, okay. That's huge. Okay. Well, from you, I don't, hey, hey I don't hold my beer, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah right? Welcome to Price Plow.
What's up, Price Plan Nation? This is Mike, CJ, and look who we have here, the world-class supplement formulator, Bruce Neller. And so it's February of 2018. We're about to do a whole like podcast series of uh, interviews and everything, but first, Bruce wants to introduce us to his latest and greatest innovation, and it happens to be a stimulant. Can I just point out, though, that like, Bruce is so badass that he brings like the controversial t-shirt on the first video. <laughs> yeah, yes. yes. This is gonna get this is gonna get every one of our videos demonetized. It's my new kid guys. I'm in the construction business now with uh, McDonald. But yeah, I have a new stim I'm working on. Uh, unfortunately I have to make people take it in front of me because I had sent something to somebody and they tried to get it analyzed and were kinda of sneaky about it. Mike and I were talking about it's it. It's crazy. Well, I mean this is a crazy industry we're in, it's so true. Uh, Unfortunately, this is what we got to deal with. And but. subscribe to our channel and watch all the other videos because we're going to talk about some of these crazy things. But yeah, I, we'll, we'll get into that later. But I had been <laughs> sending this out. Uh, it is uh, patent pending. I'm, I'm fighting with the patent office now uh, through office actions to you know get a, a notice of award. And once I do that, I really think it's going to be the next big thing. What's cool about this is I did all of the uh, regulatory work up front before I started to develop this. So what I did is I had a regulatory attorney who's a subject matter expert in the industry. She's been uh, general counsel for a couple of big companies here. Um, she's really, really smart when it comes to IP as well as regulatory law. So I had her review my idea to make sure that it was, we'll say, kosher and Deshaya compliant. And not like kinda, sorta, not really Deshaya compliant, but like legitimately Deshaya compliant. It's also been uh, reviewed by uh, a couple of, we'll say, academic people to make sure that the idea is, you know, pharmacologically sound. I did that before I invested any time into it. So uh, I kind of went into a different direction than other people did. It's not a PEA, so I'm just gonna tell you that right now. Um, it's multiple ingredients. There's about 100 ingredients that I have, or 100 compounds in the uh, in the patent application. Wow. So I'm using three of them here, okay? Uh, Does that include caffeine? Not, no caffeine. Okay, so three, and then we're gonna add like 200 megs of caffeine. Right, we'll call it three of the, the new Bruce class non-PEA uh, compound, and uh, <laughs> it has a really cool feel. Basically, I found it by accident. Everybody went to the right, and. I happened to see something on the left, gave it a try, and I uh, was more luck than anything else. So uh, I think you guys are really gonna like this. So uh, I feel that it's ironic right. that he said he, he went to the left with his t-shirt. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a gap. Yeah, 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 yeah. So right. let me ask wow. you this though, is this, once this stuff hits, is it gonna make everybody forget about Dynamine? Uh, I don't know, I mean, the guys behind Dynamine, they're my friends, I mean, yeah. I like them a lot, and I actually do some work with them. They're some of the best people in the world in the industry, I, I love, all the ISSN guys, uh, can't say enough good things about them. We'll talk about them later on, I'm sure. But uh, I'm not going to say it's going to make you forget about Dynamine. I'm just, it's got a different feel, man. It's, it's mm -hmm. a, um, you know, good but different. Yeah, you'll find out soon enough. I'm yeah, so yeah. the whole plan is, we're, this is the first thing we're doing. Like, Bruce just got out of the Uber truck, and we are um, going to take this. Then we're going to sit down and do a couple uh, podcast-style interviews and everything. But once CJ and I start getting a feel for it, we're going to chime back in and say how things went. You'll, you'll notice that I, I, if you can see this here, there are like little red capsules because I'm, I'm red pilling my oh. CJ. So, uh, okay, so uh, yeah. you ready to get red pills? So I, actually, I'm there ready. was a long time ago where you sent us some red pills. They're yeah. more like tablets that are right. and everything. Does this have anything to do with that? No. Okay, because in that video we were talking about like we're gonna see the curvature of the Earth and whether oh, or not this Earth is hollow and all that. <laughs> this is gonna it. make you see the curvature of the Earth and, and make you. Uh, think differently. Um, I, I made a pretty bold statement to you by email. I said, I you think you like this better than ephedrine. And everybody says that about stems and usually they never produce. But um, 
You guys try it. I mean, give you not that you necessarily like a Federer, but I'm going to say you like it better than the MAA. Well, How's that sound? Wow. Okay. That's huge. Okay. That's okay. Huge. See, see, right. a veteran is more of a body right. feel for me. I don't, right. Hey, I don't hold my beer, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I, I don't get that the head feel with a veteran, though. And so, I kind of like that. So, head I've feel. never actually had a veteran. Okay, yeah. so my home, I'll uh, you up with So, me. all right, I'm going to give each of you guys. Okay. Well, well, two or just one? We do one each. So this one. little bitty thing, that's what that's going to be. Well, it holds several hundred milligrams, okay? So, wow. Yeah. And if you want caffeine with it, yeah, give me I've a, got the yeah, Nodos no uh, 200 milligram caffeine. Perfect. Right. Give it a whirl. And I've got one left for you know somebody else later on to try. Yeah. But i got to watch you guys eat in front of me. I had a, a negative problem. Absolutely. All right, dude. Wow, no, these guys are pros, man. Nothing to drink and drive. All right, we've been red pilled. <laughs> we'll get back to yeah, you. I, 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 I can't find my water I'm, right I'm now. I'm washing mine down with a cinnamon bomb carnitine. <laughs> oh, listen, guys, I make so, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, wow. Awesome. All right, so we're going to be back. Uh, maybe we'll do a check in in 45 minutes or so, or however, after this first interview goes. And then uh, CJ and I will chime in and see how we're feeling. And. I hope I'm like kind of exhausted. It's like early in the morning for me, so I woke up at 3 a.m. and it, it was one of those. Hey, it's not a competition, Mike. No, I'm just saying like, I wasn't going. This back. is going to be a real punch in the teeth. Again, this dose is not particularly high. I didn't want to come out of the gate and like you know peel your wig back, so to speak. So I kind of appreciate that. Did you? He scares me a little. Did you? <laughs> <when> he, <came laughs> like, he, he actually comes. Like I don't get scared about stimulants. Like he's like <laughs> no, that's the guy that's scary about a stimulant. Did you eat breakfast? Yes. Okay, I did not. I'm, I'm just we'll see you. how that will. You're, you're going to get smashed in the teeth quicker. Really? It may okay. take you about you know 30 minutes to hit, but you yeah. didn't have a breakfast. You'll be feeling it in, in 15, 15 okay. minutes for sure. Do you know what time it is? It's time. It's this time. 835. 8.35. What's going on, YouTube? My name is Mike. I'm the founder of PricePlow, a supplement price comparison site. And I'm here with world-class supplement formulator, Bruce Neller. Allegedly world-class. Uh, world allegedly. So today, this video is going to be a lot different. A lot of different people are going to see that. Uh, and this is why I gave it a bit of a different intro. Because we are going to talk about something that's not exactly related to the supplement industry in this video. We're doing a whole series of interviews. And this came up, Kratom. And did I pronounce that right? I, Kratom, Kratom, yeah. And so I know you've done a lot of research on this, considering whether or not this is a, you know, a dietary a supplement ingredient or not. And uh, I think you have a lot of unique, a big unique take on this. It's a very hot thing, especially given uh, you know the whole opiate epidemic going on and everything right now. And so I kind of like to hear like what you think about this ingredient. And and there's going to be kind of two sides to this. First off, there's the consumer side. A lot of people out there are like users of the stuff. And they might want to know a little bit more information. But also the second side is the business end of it, which is where you and I are more uh, a little bit more interested in. Like, is this a business avenue that is worth the risk, or is it worth getting into? And uh, well, you haven't. Got Gotten into it, so that might help right. answer okay. that question. So let's talk about a little bit about the. Uh... Okay, from the business perspective, I'll tell you right now, there really isn't uh, a big business legally in in kratom in the United States anymore. Uh, the FDA and Customs and Border Patrol have a standing seizure order. So if you try to import the stuff from Indonesia or or Thailand or anywhere like that, uh, and you're doing it, you know, obviously legally, you're saying well, what it is on the invoice and the commercial. Bill of lading, it's got to get seized and destroyed. So you can't so, bring the country. So the standing seizure order is that? Can it be legally challenged at all? Like, is anyone fighting this? Uh, yeah, you could you could try to challenge it. I mean, you could obviously. Is there a law against it? Uh, uh, there's no law against it, but you could try to challenge it in federal court and try to make a case. I think it would be uh, you have to explain why you wanted it in the United States and what you were intending to do with it and how that was legal, which would present some pretty serious barriers. 
um, to getting that, that order by uh, FDA and customs sort of uh, removed, even having a judge say, no, you can bring it in. But um, you know, in, in the last couple of years, there's been some pretty big seizures mm -hmm. of uh, Kratom-containing products that were uh, illegally marketed as dietary supplements or dietary ingredients because it's not a dietary ingredient. Why not? Because it doesn't meet the Deshaya uh, definition of a dietary ingredient. Uh, because no one's filed a, a, an NDI or an NDIN uh, with FDA to say, hey, I've got this, this herb that was not sold before you know, October of 1994 as a dietary ingredient or dietary supplement, and I want to sell it as one now. Um, so that's the first problem. FDA is going to view it as uh, is not okay as a dietary ingredient. So that's the first big barrier, uh, if you could even get it in the country mm -hmm. legally now, to overcome. Uh, I came into the, 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 the Kratom game a little too late, a day, a day late and a dollar short. Okay? <laughs> uh, I was in, in Asia and I had met some folks in Indonesia that were selling uh, Kratom uh, to the United States and the price was really low. I mean, like in Indonesia, it's about 25 to 35 dollars a kilo and it doesn't matter if you get the red vein or the white vein or you know, wh whatever kind of derivative, it's just basically all, you know, you know, twenty-five to thirty-five dollars a kilo. You know, freight on board out of you know wherever you want in Indonesia. Uh, I had bought up a lot of domain names. You know, that had the word Kratom in it. Getting ready to bring this over here because I saw it getting popular, and then that whole you know standing order with customs happened. And uh, you know, I wasn't going to sell it that per se as a dietary ingredient. I was going to rebundle it. And it wasn't going to have any any particular purpose. But um, the bad thing about it is, um, you know, FDA talked about maybe scheduling it, and there was a a big commotion about that and a mm -hmm. big uh, you know, online uh, petition, petition yeah. not to do it. Mm -hmm. And it, it ended up not being scheduled, but it's, it's something that I can see that, that they don't particularly, uh, they don't care for and they don't like. So um, that's, that's, that's the problem with, with, with it right now. I mean, you no, get I mean, a federal bureaucracy that hates it. Right, so why do they hate it though? And that's where the conspiracy kind of well, develops. Do you get into that at all or do you not a care? Little bit, like I, a little bit, I mean, I, I think that they're inclined not to like anything that is coming on board as a, a dietary ingredient just because I think the dietary ingredient in supplement industry has burned FDA and maybe DEA a few too many times. Mm. So they're a little bit, you know, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know? Okay, I think, I, well, first off, I, mean, I would like to, to rewind a little bit first and I, I talk about what, in, in, your, uh, in your words, what this ingredient does. Okay, really. well, there's what, actually, there's a tea. okay, so, there, you know, it's an herb or a plant, it's a botanical, and it contains, uh, Two sort of, uh, I'll call them unique structures. One is uh, metragonine and the other one is 7-hydroxymetragonine. They're obviously you know, very closely related, they're mm -hmm. homologs. And they bind uh, to the opioid, one of the opioid receptor sites, uh, not very tightly, but enough that you, you know, if you drink enough or consume enough that you feel it. And one of the things that a lot of folks were using uh, Kratom for was to help themselves sort of detoxify or come off of you know, much more dangerous and much uh, harsher, yeah, harsher opioids. Like if you were addicted to oxycontin or or heroin or like you know one of the other fentanyl analog, and you couldn't get off of it, you know, you, you know, just by white knuckling it, you know, kratom was something you could get and use to help you, you know, you know, to get off that. And given the the awful opioid crisis we have in America, right. you know, anything that could help even one person, you know, mitigate that is is a good thing. And I think that. The, the government, our government sort of overreacted when it became sort of uh, viral, like on Reddit and places like that, that this was a good thing or maybe helpful. Uh, well, it seems like every time there was a seizure, 
the headlines kicked up and then more people started looking for it and then it's a spiraling effect too. So sometimes that news generates the uh, the interest, plus the opioid epidemic is getting worse and worse. So right. just by virtue, people are going to be searching around and stuff. Yeah, that's that, that's that's true. So um, as, as it became, we'll say, more and more popular or more and more known for being a potential therapeutic agent to help people come off of the harder or harsher opiates, um, I think the government got nervous. Because again, you can't make those kind of claims for a dietary ingredient and it was pretty much being sold as a food, like a tea or some kind of... Or right, would it, yeah. But if, if there was no uh, standing customs order to stop it from coming in, you said that you would have just sold it just as Kratom or whatever, just have right. a name on it and no claims, no, claims, right. no nothing. Is that Would that be the way to go? Um, I don't know. I mean, FDA might come in and try to challenge that. I mean, they, they, they're pretty good at doing that kind of stuff, so it's like setting you up to make phone calls and say, how do I use this? And if you even tell them how to use it, then the next thing you know, you know, OCI is banging down your door. But realistically, the only way that I could see doing it without a- applying for an NDI uh, or an NDIN is you'd have to bring it in and repackage it and just have like, you know, you know, Kratom on the, on the label and very little else, a barcode and, and whatnot, not make any, you know, suggestions on how to eat it or, or dose it or whatnot and just let people... So had you tried it? I've tried a couple of times. So yeah, what were the different ways that you were trying to take it and everything? Tea, and it didn't really do a whole lot. I didn't notice really anything, and maybe I didn't use enough. Uh, I didn't really feel much of anything, and I did it in Indonesia, where it, it was real, literally, it was, you know, like like right off the the ground, so to uh-huh. speak. You know, yeah, the, fresh, right, fresh stuff. Um, <laughs> and I didn't really notice anything, but you know, if it if it helps other people and they notice it, you know, good. I mean, you know, I think it could help people. So what's the big problem then? If it it seems like the, the the problem is that it's addictive. Is that really the? I don't know that it's necessarily addictive. I would imagine that because it binds to an opioid receptor, that there's a potential addiction issue. But I think the bigger problem is there's not a whole lot of data on what it does, what it doesn't do, uh, and, and and whether or not it really is safe to be used as intended. And I'm not saying it's not safe. I personally think you know anecdotally, which you know that and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee, um, <laughs> it, it, it probably is relatively safe for most people, but I'm not encouraging anybody obviously to use it and certainly not to import it, okay? Um, I think that you know the FDA being the FDA was a little nervous about the fact that a lot of people who are seriously ill have serious addiction problems were gonna try to self-detoxify and they might fail badly and maybe could get hurt. And again, you can't make those kind of claims and, and ever call it a dietary ingredient that it's for use in you know uh, treating people for anything, never mind just for uh, for being addicted to opioids. So I think they they may have jumped the gun a little bit and they may have overreacted because our government sometimes tends to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think they got nervous and they saw where it was going and they wanted to to clamp down on it um, before it really became you know bigger than it is. I will tell you I'll, I'll tell you one thing. There is a way you could do it. You could you could have it in this country if you had kratom seeds. They were in here before they banned the stuff from being imported, and you could show that you had it here, you know, before you know, 2014 or wherever it was, and you wanted to grow it in the United States on farmland. There's no ban on that. So if you had mm. some way to grow it here yourself, you could do it. I don't know anybody that's doing that, and I'm certainly yeah, not. Yeah, do we have the climate to make that happen? Either. Yeah, I don't know. You could always do it in a greenhouse kind of a thing, right, that's with right. hydroponics. Um, I don't really necessarily know that that's the. Uh, the, the way to go, but is that my phone? That I'm sorry. Phone. I'm sorry. Ah, but um, uh, sorry about that, guys. I, I don't necessarily know that that's the way to go, but I am a little bit disappointed that um, you know they they had this you know carpet ban on it, carpet you know this uniform ban on bringing it into the country. Um, 
not so much my own personal financial benefit because I, I would have stood to probably make a fair amount of money on it, but just because I think it really would have helped maybe millions of people who are suffering that, needlessly. And at that point, that's where and that's where you, I mentioned the conspiracy of things, and you kind of went down the uh, FDA supplement route and everything. And I think the bigger conspiracy is that there's this whole big pharma looming over and a lot of regulatory capture where you have a lot of people at the at the FDA who have been in bed before or they may soon after be in bed with Big Pharma, and Big Pharma is making an absolute killing on the, opi on the opioids, and anything that might loosen that is going to get the ban. That might be a problem. Do I you go down that road or anything? I don't, I, you know, I, coming from a drug development background, I don't necessarily see the FDA as uh, in the same way that the conspiracy theorists do, because mm -hmm. I've interacted with them, and I think most of the folks certainly that I've interacted with are pretty professional and don't have any you know, personal animus or some kind of, you know, ulterior motive. But I will say this, um, certainly the, the active ingredients in Kratom got the attention of drug companies. So there are plenty mm -hmm. of them now that said, gee, this, this metragonine or the 7-hydroxy variant might have some value. You know, m maybe let's, let's see us capture it and, and make some kind of derivative, use it as a platform that we can use to treat, you know, opioid addiction. Let, let us get it before the, the supplement guys can can put a, a stake in the ground that showed us a dietary ingredient because once it is, you know, they, they would lose it obviously as, as a drug. Probably. Okay, so, so that gives me two questions. And so as, as a natural constituent, um, can the, these, can, these compounds cannot be patented. No. But you, you mentioned like you, they could be used as a platform. Like how would, right. that, so you how could, would that kind of work? So you could take, you know, metragonine and you could find a way. And what I'm asking, yeah, is basically like from the big pharma perspective, how would that work? And then I want to know from the supplement industry perspective, how would you hit it from that angle? So big okay, pharma so, first. So big pharma synthesizes metragonine and starts playing with it uh, based on like QSAR modeling or other you know, techniques that they use in, in big pharma and biochemistry and, and pharmacology. And they find ways to make metragonine or the 7-hydroxy variant, say, more powerful or to give it, you know, better characteristics, more desirable characteristics, and now it's totally synthetic. They How could, so? Like by, by moving yeah, by, atoms by, around on a molecule right, or exactly, by combining by, it with other things? Well, probably by, by changing, you know, certain functional groups or adding and subtracting them, you mm -hmm. know, on, on the, the, we'll say, the, the backbone of the molecule that gotcha. would make it more. So that, that would probably be something that never existed in nature before, mm -hmm. and that should be as my my knowledge as a layperson, not as a, an attorney, certainly not a patent attorney, that it would be patentable. You're about as close to a, being an attorney uh, as, as it comes, though. I don't know if that's an insult or, or, or whatnot, but <laughs> sorry, guys. I have a lot of attorney friends out there. You guys are great. I, I definitely love you. Sure. Uh, but uh, I, I think the issue is um, if they, they don't want anything. I don't think they want anything that's even remotely close to be legal as a dietary ingredient. So let's say metragonine is X strong or X useful, and they come up with something that is 10 times more useful. There's still that that underlying naturally occurring herbal stuff that anybody can get without a prescription that's cheap and there's no no real money in it compared to what the pharma guys make. So they don't even want to see that on the on the market. They just want to sort of control that. And and the example that I use is. Uh, is GHB when it was legal? Mm -hmm. Okay, you know GHB. I don't believe it was nearly as dangerous as the headlines made it out to be, and that got banned and became a Schedule One. You know, which means it had no legitimate medical purpose. And then a, a drug company came out and made a, a sodium salt variant, and all of a sudden now it's a prescription drug. I mean, uh -huh. so we had this naturally occurring stuff that. Well, if that keeps happening, then why? Then I think the conspiracy theorists may have an argument. All right, it, okay, it, so maybe they have an argument, but I bet maybe it's not all the time. Maybe it's some of the time, and maybe with Kratom, it is one of those times, and maybe not. Uh, again, I think that they just tended to overreact a little bit, and I also think that as much as I'm a pro-Trump guy. 
and you know, sort of like, <laughs> yeah, I right. uh, uh, and and I like the administration. I don't think that this would be the right administration uh, to seek, you know, them freeing things up. I mean, you know, I, I like Jeff Jeff Sessions as an attorney general. I know some people necessarily don't. Maybe even Donald Trump himself is sort of regretting that. Most now. people watching this video probably don't like probably don't him, like right? him. Okay, I like the guy a lot, but. I don't necessarily see him being the type of guy that's going to loosen this up. I mean, you know, he's really anti-cannabis and anti-marijuana, so strongly, right? Right. Okay. So, you know, I, I don't. If he, and he's not going to like 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 that. Let that happen. Even though the states, most states want to allow, or a lot of states want to allow, you know, people to you know light up a joint. So mm -hmm. imagine, you know, having something that's quote an opioid or opiate-related herb, you know, and we want to sell it as a dietary ingredient. Yeah, he. I, I don't think that he's going to go for it. I don't think the Department mm -hmm. of Justice is gonna uh, is gonna go for it. So I don't think whether can, it's with Big Pharma or with well, with Big Pharma, you might see it because it would be controlled. It would have to be under a doctor's supervision. It, it, it would be a prescription drug. It may be even a controlled substance. Get mm -hmm. the DEA involved. Okay. Uh, so in that instance, you may be able to see something. Okay. But as far as you know, in our our perspective, a dietary supplement or a dietary ingredient. Uh, you know, it pains me to say to say this, but I really don't think any time in the near future, maybe ever, uh, that we're going to see it available in the United States for sale that way. And it's really so you say no chance. Like there should be no lobby that gets together and tries to. Oh no, to I wouldn't do say that at all. I mean, I mean, people should lobby and try to educate and try to make a, a compelling argument why you know they think that this is something that should be you know freely available. So how people. would you do that? What would be your like outline for for trying to get this pushed forward as a dietary supplement ingredient? Well, I mean, let's let's get it illegal into the country first before we even get it as a dietary <laughs> supplement ingredient. Okay. okay. I, I mean, we have to get people and some money behind it to sort of challenge the standing order that it can't be brought into the country. Once you get past that barrier, mm -hmm. okay, somebody would have to do some research with it and file a, a, a new dietary ingredient notification with the FDA. I suspect they would summarily reject it Correct. for whatever reason. And then what? And then you have a, maybe a court battle in your hand before a federal judge. And he, you know, the, the federal judge would be the arbitrator. The thing that I don't like, uh, the, the, there's very few things about the FDA I don't like, but one of the things I don't like is they're part of the executive branch and they don't have the ability to unilaterally make law. I mean, they shouldn't. I mean, literally, Congress should be making law. So, right, I mean, right. so Congress, maybe we, you can lobby your congressmen, your senators to, you know, come up with some kind of bill to like legalize kratom as a dietary ingredient. Or, if there's a question of whether or not that it is legal or illegal, it should be left up to the judiciary. So, I don't think it really is within the FDA's purview just to unilaterally say. I, I think that's a little unfair, uh, and that could probably be legally challenged by. Uh, People who are, who are a little bit more educated in law and have a, a bar card, so to speak, to, mm -hmm. to take it before a federal judge and, and try to get that changed. And um, I don't know if there's enough interest in it, Mike, at this period of time. Well, I, you know, I, you say that, and then that petition happened, and it blew the socks off of what I think anyone was expecting. So, is I think it's clear that there's interest and. Uh, Where was the follow-up, though? I, I mean, there was that position, right. oh, and then yeah. it fell off the, the, the face of the planet. Right, and okay. yeah, yeah, I have to wonder was that like basically just a bunch of like drug-addled Americans who were who were like wanting that or was it, it what, what do you in your research what was the use case was it a lot of people who were trying to get off opioids or was it a lot of people just trying to chill out and vegetate into the couch well I think it's very easy to sign an online petition if that's the only thing you have to do right oh yeah, so, obviously, so it's, yeah. It's, I mean anybody can do that and mm -hmm. no you know it takes seconds literally but to go beyond that and to do real work requires time effort and money that's one problem and I don't think a lot of these folks you know have any real vested interest or real reason 
No, they don't. But seeing that there's over a million of them out there, that's a lot of customers. I, I think some I think that there are some people that want to use it as you know a chill tea just to relax. Uh, and I think that there are other people that legitimately are really sick mm -hmm. uh, and really addicted, but don't want to go for whatever reason to a physician or uh, to a, a rehab for whatever reason. They don't want their family to know. Mm -hmm. They would feel it would be politically damaging to their careers, their mm -hmm. professional licensure if, if they have that. And this may be something that could be a useful adjuvant to help them break that cycle or help them get off street drugs. So, um, you know, my opinion is anything that's going to help you get off street drugs is something we should at least explore and look at. Okay, Agreed. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a shame what's happening now. And we keep hearing about all these promises that there's going to be more money and more research and more things happening to help people that are addicted to opiates and other things. And it never seems to really materialize. It just yeah. seems, it's, it's talk, talk, and more talk. It's signing the petitions and doing nothing else. And sometimes throwing money at a problem doesn't solve it. So Right. You have to have a plan. And I, I'm not necessarily the guy that, that has that plan or, or knows where to go with it. But, uh, again, I, I kind of started researching this a, a day late, a dollar short. Um, if, if it ever becomes legal to import and legal to sell, uh, I would certainly you know jump on it and. So you're keeping your domains. Yeah, I'm going to keep my domains. It's, 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 it's you know my domain names. It's cheap. You know, what does it cost me? Twenty bucks a year. And, and you know, it's it's cheap insurance. And uh, if it if it becomes legal, then we'll see what happens. I mean, I may it may be twenty years from now. And I may not even be here anymore. Right. Who knows, right? But it, it's just something that uh, I really I kind of feel I, I feel badly about about this more so than you know some of the other things we might talk about because. Again, I mean, these folks are really suffering and anything mm -hmm. and everything that could help them get off and stay off of, you know, street drugs, particularly stuff that they could overdose on and kill themselves with. And we're seeing such a rampant, you know, use of these or misuse of these fentanyl analogs and things like that where, you know, a, a slight, you know, increment in the dosage, you know, a hot bag is going to kill you, you know, instantly. I mean, maybe they can't even bring you back with Narcan. That's how, how right. potent these things yeah. are. So we got to do something or cer certainly more than we're doing now to help these people. This was something that potentially had a lot of uh, uh, interest and maybe use in doing that and to see it, the, the gate to sort of arbitrarily and unilaterally shut down on it uh, is, is really, uh, it's a shame, it really is. Right. So I, I think that would be a good time to sign off. But I do have one more question. We might cut this into a different video, but it's more, more in general. Now, you, you mentioned that if Kratom is made legal, okay, yeah, you could throw your hat in the ring. But then at the same time, 10,000 other Bruce's are going to do that. Not, not, every, not everyone okay. else is going to be as talented as you at making it a, a potent ingredient, let's just say. But is there a benefit to the people that maybe there's a young 25-year-old watching this who's like, dude, I don't care. I'm young. I can handle three years in jail as the worst case. Don't risk. do it. You think you can handle it, but you they're, can't. they're going to be first to market. Don't do it. I, I, I'm just saying right now. It's illegal to import Kratom into the United States. Don't do it. Wow, okay. Do not break the law. If you get caught, it's a smuggling charge, okay? I mean, let's say you brought it in, you try to mislabel it as you know, green tea or something else. Mm -hmm. it, it's a very serious federal offense. You will do a substantial amount of time in More jail. Than three years? I, I, enough that you will be very unhappy and it might ruin the rest of your life, okay? And there may be other collateral damage, like if you're married, it may affect your marriage, your children, and people that you're not thinking about. So, uh, you know, don't do it. Wait for it to be legalized. You know, when in doubt, always try to follow the law as best that you understand it. If you don't understand it, you know, call an attorney and get an expert opinion because that's what attorneys are, are experts in the law. So I would say, yeah, no way, not now. Gotcha. Time.
And we'll leave it that. Bruce is the, the person to listen to on that matter. And so <laughs> you can subscribe to the Price Plow channel because we have another one coming up similarly with uh, CBD oil. Yep. And then we're going to talk a whole lot about supplements and the fitness industry too. So we thank you for watching. And uh, that's Bruce's take on Cranium. Thank you, guys. What's up, Price Plow Nation? I'm here with Bruce Neller, and we've been hanging out all day. He made a big announcement this morning, so you can I check did. out that video. Yes, and so we're talking about everything under the sun. And so for those of you chiming in who aren't familiar with our channel, Price Plow is a supplement uh, reviews channel, and Price Plow is a supplement price comparison site. But today we're gonna talk about, in this video, CBD oil, because I know it's a hot thing. Big question is whether or not this is a dietary supplement ingredient, and there's gonna be a lot of people out there watching this for various reasons. But Bruce is a uh, supplement formula and he goes down Allegedly. the rabbit. Yeah, he goes down the rabbit hole deep on a lot of stuff, and he's got a lot of strong opinions on this. And so what happened is our, our friend Tim Muriello put out a uh, supplement. It's like a post-workout supplement with CBD oil in it, and they were like gummy frog CBD oil. They were cool gummy, looking. Gummy I admit it. Yeah, they did gummy frog CBD uh, CBD frogs. I forget what they're called. Chill and grow or whatever. Chill as a post-workout supplement. I'm like right. Bruce, you gotta check this out. And, uh, and so there was a big discussion on the uh, Stacked Facebook page. Stacked is a supplement news site as well. And, and you guys kind of got going about it. And so I would love to know what your take is. Is CBD, what is CBD oil? And is this a dietary ingredient? What's gonna happen? And would you ever, as a businessman, would you ever get into that market? Okay, so CBD is uh, cannabidiol. Mm -hmm. It's a constituent that's found in, and we'll say hemp and marijuana, which are, you know, marijuana's sort of a variant of hemp, okay? Uh, it is not a dietary ingredient, not today, probably not ever. It's a Schedule One controlled substance. So okay? Tim is risking trouble with his frogs. Uh, it's, like, it's like, yeah, it's like in the same category, I'm not saying pharmacologically, but legally, legally. as like heroin, okay? It, it's, it's a bad hit, okay? If you're trafficking in it, you're looking at like Star Trek numbers in the federal penitentiary. But CBD oil is being sold everywhere right now. Well, uh, so is in heroin. I mean, it doesn't make, it doesn't make <laughs> okay. cocaine. I mean, all right, what's your point? Um, the problem with it is, um, let's start first with the DEA. The, the government, the Department of Justice and the, and the DEA, which is kind of a, a piece of that, has already come out and said that CBD is a Schedule One. Okay, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the law right now. And they can come, you know, with the battering rams and the boots and kick down your, your door and arrest you and take your stuff. You know, by stuff I mean your cars, your houses, and whatnot. There's okay. a DEA enforcement. Yeah, right. Like I mean, AK-47s. Like they they right. They can. Well, they don't have AK-47s. Well, yeah, they they can seize your stuff. Okay. Um, it's believe me, I know very well they can seize your stuff. It's not. It's not legal. <laughs> it's a Schedule One. Meaning, right now, today, the opinion of the Department of Justice is it has no legitimate medical use. There are people that don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, then challenge it. You know, take it to court. You know, get somebody in Congress to. You know, write a bill and get that bill approved by the you know the House of Representatives and Senate, and get Donald Trump to sign off in it. And, and there so you go. Is that is that in pro in process a little bit? It seems like it's catching a lot of steam. It seems like the hemp lobby is pushing pretty hard, and they're getting some legal decisions. And like hemp can now be grown a little bit on certain farmland. Uh, uh, even before that, we'll, we'll just let's say okay, okay, let's say let's say it wasn't a controlled substance, mm -hmm. a drug, okay, uh, and it's a drug. Period. End of discussion. Um, so if it's a drug, it can't be a dietary ingredient. But let's say we didn't have that. Okay, no one ever, you know, tried to sell it as a drug and made any claims about it for epilepsy because it is being studied now extensively. You know, uh, for treating you know refractory epilepsy in, in kids uh, or derivatives derivatives of it are. And again, mm -hmm. as I said before, Jeff Sessions, Attorney General, doesn't like it at all. Okay, um, let's say none of that ever happened. 
it still is not a dietary ingredient because it hasn't been properly you know, vetted as a dietary ingredient. A, a, a new drug, an NDIN, I don't think has been filed on it. Maybe it has, but it hasn't been approved by FDA even, even if it, it has been filed. Somebody f was to have filed a, a new drug investigation notice with the FDA, the 75-day pre-marketing thing they're required to do by law, okay, there still isn't any FDA commentary saying, oh, okay, you know, you can sell it at this dosage and in this form. So it's not a dietary ingredient. That said, I am keenly aware, as I'm sure you are, uh, plenty of stuff is being sold both in stores and online that have, you know, CBD, CBD in it as a constituent of hemp oil. Um, I'm not trying to say that it's dangerous or bad for you, and I'm not trying to say it doesn't have legitimate uses that are helpful for people that are suffering. Quite obviously, these things do. But I'm just saying from a legal standpoint, not as an attorney, as a layman, my interpretation of it is that it's, it's illegal. And given the current way that Jeff Sessions and his, his folks that work under him at the DOJ look at things, I can't see um, them allowing this because even states that allow marijuana to be sold recreationally or medicinally, I mean, he sort of intimated that he may go after them federally. So uh, any constituent of marijuana, I think, is, is at high risk for um, uh, the government coming in. And obviously, you know, this is going to sound a little conspiracy theorist, but obviously when someone makes a lot of money, that's when the government wants to come in because they can take that money away. So if you had a, a, a company selling CBD oil and it was really successful, well, that's when you're probably going to see them bang the doors down and start teasing bank accounts and houses and cars and things like that because there's unfortunately, you know, the, the, the seizure laws in this country allow for them to do that. They get to keep that stuff and use it, the reinvested. I think, I think the big the conspiracy theory leans more against the anti-big pharma side okay. of things. Like, hey, this is actually something natural that works. Then CBD itself cannot be patented because it's found in nature. Or well, they can still sell it. I mean, I mean, they may not be able to patent it, okay, because it's it's naturally occurring. They may, be, then, may, be, may be able to find a non-naturally occurring homologue that they developed, which they could they could patent, mm -hmm. or they could find some you know other way to deliver it. That's you know they get a use patent on it. Or maybe they won't patent it at all. Maybe they'll just be, we still think it's useful and the market's big enough that we'll just do it kind of like as a generic drug. But yeah, there's a lot of interest with the drug development companies uh, with CBD and its, der its derivatives. I mean, look, I, I think it's a shame. I, I think a lot of people, um, you know, want to see it used to help folks that, that, that are just, you know, can't use anything else. People with, you know, cancer, people that have, uh, you know, uh, eating disorders, people that have, you know, migraine headaches. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, of things that CBD mm -hmm. oil has, you know, we think that it might be useful for. And again, I mean, whether or not you need to go see a doctor and be treated under a physician to get that, that's, you know, who knows? And I, I know a lot of people would like to see it sold as a dietary supplement. Um, you know, me included, to be honest with you. I'd love to see it as a dietary supplement. It doesn't meet the definition of one today. Uh, but uh, if it were, I mean, it would be something that I think would be, you know, kind of a good thing for for everybody involved. Right, and so realize that Bruce is coming from the industry background, the business background, and, and the anti-ness of it, I know that's not a word, the anti-ness of it is really coming because you see a lot of business risk with it. And a huge existential business risk. I mean, here's the other problem that people don't think about. So if you're, if you're dealing in marijuana or hemp-related businesses, okay, I mean, no banks will do business with you because for well, someone's to, doing business with well, them. Well, they're not supposed to because because it's a lot of cash that's got to go somewhere. Well, it's very difficult if you look at it. it uh, states that have you know uh, laws that allow for the decriminalization of marijuana and for the use of it recreationally and medicinally. I mean, a lot of these companies that sell it, they can't take credit cards and they can't make deposits in the banks because 
the banks have a big risk of being, you know, um, you know, you know, hit with, you know, you know, money laundering charges by the feds. And, you know, they're an easy target for, and there's lots of money in banks, obviously. <laughs> so, I mean, they're an easy target for uh, the feds to go after. That's, that's, you know, one of the problems with it. I would like to see, um, it, w- it would make me feel a lot better if the, the Trump administration would issue some kind of edict or memorandum through the DOJ mm-hmm. saying, this is what we really, really think, a little bit more clearer than it is now. Uh, and if they're really uh, anti and, and they're saying it's a schedule one and you guys can't sell it, then to, to, to do something about it. I mean, don't just say you can't do it and then not do anything about it. Because then you have the risk takers. Yes. You know? And so, yeah, does it upset you that someone like, let's just say Tim Mariello, I know you're not upset at Tim Mariello, but someone like Tim Mariello will, is willing to take that risk. You know, you got a wife and kids and everything. I'm pretty sure he doesn't. He's younger. He's willing to take that risk and maybe make a lot of money. In the meantime, you're trying to obey the law and you're left in the dark. Is that upsetting because we're in this weird spot? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I don't know Tim. I'm sure he's a heck of a nice guy. He's a mm-hmm. good guy. He's just trying to help people with you know, a product that would be you know, sort of useful and, and nice that people would like to take uh, and help them you know, relax and kind of wind down after they've had a hard day or a difficult session at the gym. It's chill and grow. Right, chill and grow. <laughs> you know, that, that said, he is taking a huge risk doing this. And um, you know, maybe nothing will happen or maybe something will happen. That's kind of you know, up to him whether he's willing to accept that risk. You're right. Yeah. Me personally, I'm not. Right. Okay. And so, yeah, we've been talking on the business end. From the user side of it, like, let's say that I had some of those gummies sent to my house. They make them safe. I take it. You know, does a user really have that much to worry about? Is Where is the Probably burden? Where's not. the risk? The uh, burden uh, of risk. Okay. Is, so, so obviously, my, my, my default standpoint is always obey the law. So, no, don't buy the gummies. Don't. don't of course. Gummies. Right. You know, you receive them. It's, it's, you know, a federal crime across state lines, blah, 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 blah. Okay. You paid for it with a credit card, money <laughs> laundering, all that good stuff. Um, from a, a non-legal, but like a friend standpoint, I don't think there's probably a whole lot of risk for you buying a bag of Tim's, you know, you know, chillaxin gummy thing. Okay, uh, as <laughs> no as one's gonna be, come. The DEA yeah, agents are gonna, gonna kick your, your door down. Nobody's gonna kick your door down. If you, I think the risk is more on Tim than any of the users. Uh, but you know, CBD oil is a huge industry. You can go online and see uh, plenty of companies that are mm-hmm. that are selling it. Again, this is just my personal opinion. Okay, and I'm not That's saying here, I'm not yeah. right. I'm not saying I'm right or the be all end all authority on this. That's why we have lawyers and courts and judges and stuff like that. I'm just saying from a layman's perspective, the way that I read it is it's it's definitely not a dietary ingredient. It can't be a dietary supplement. It's a schedule one compound, which is pretty serious. And you know, on the federal level anyway, it is absolutely illegal. So um, until that changes or there's some clarification, you know, with that, I would, me personally, as a business person, I'd avoid it. Okay, I'm not gonna lie to you. If if you know Sessions and you know the DOJ said, you know what, we're gonna allow CBD oil to to exist as a non-scheduled product, we're, we're not gonna be involved with it. You know, as as a scheduled product, we're gonna make an exception for it, or we're gonna interpret the law differently. Go ahead, sell it. Okay. Then the big thing is, is the FDA do they think it's a dietary ingredient? If that happened, I would try to work that angle because it's a huge business, mm-hmm. lots of money to be made. You know, if the, if the DEA wasn't involved in it, yeah, absolutely, I, I would want to be involved and try to work it and sell it and, and do something good with it, okay? Uh, but unfortunately, you know, it is what it is, and, um, you know, these people are taking a risk. And again, the, the reason they're taking a risk is, you know, uh, money, money, money. There's a lot, of be, a lot of money to be made in marijuana and hemp-related products. Um, and again, I'm not criticizing them as ineffective or even dangerous. 
Okay, I, I'm not that's why I keep bringing it up. Like we're we're hitting this from the business risk side of things, right? I mostly, mean, right? I mean, that's from, why you're here, right? I, mean, I think from a from a user standpoint, there probably is you know great effective and safe use for these things in in in, 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 in particular dosages and, and used by particular people. I mean, I, I get it. If you're a parent and your three year old kid has you know refractory epilepsy that and has hundreds of seizures a day and nothing worked, and you gave the kid CBD oil and then the, the kid doesn't have seizures anymore, you're gonna look at me and you're gonna hate me. You're gonna say, you know, what a fucking asshole you are to, to come out and say that we can't have this. My kid is suffering. Look, I get it. I want your kid not to suffer anymore, I really do. Uh, I'm just saying, just from a legal standpoint, from a business standpoint, it's not something that I think uh, I or anybody I know at this, at this moment would really wanna be involved with. So uh, I don't know even enough about you know how busy or how much traffic there is in CBD oil. I'm guessing from you bringing it up that it must be a, a pretty big, pretty big. We'll see thing. how many views this video gets. But I'm imagining it's going to be one of the bigger ones that we have out of all this interview series here today. But really, yeah, yeah, I think so. That's my that's my guess. Maybe CJ has other opinions. But either way, you know what to do. In fact, Bruce, thank you so much for coming yeah, on the Price Plus channel. You, awesome. you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button because we have a whole bunch of other stuff. But instead, I also want you to drop the comments down at the bottom because. Uh, this one's obviously gonna be quite intense. So subscribe to the channel, please comment and let us know how we're doing here and uh, let us know what you think about Bruce. Thanks, Thanks guys. What's going on, Priceline Nation? This is Mike, and I'm here with the infamous Bruce Neller, world-class supplement formulator. Allegedly. Yeah, we're talking about all sorts of stuff today. Bruce made a major announcement this morning. We're trying his new stimulant, which I'm loving. And so we were going to talk about, we were talking about Kratom. We were going to talk about CBD oil, but I know I, I mentioned real quickly that there was uh, this ingredient called Tianeptine on... It's not an ingredient. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I mentioned this this product, Tianeptine, on a site that was listed on Pricepile. And Bruce, you, you obviously have something to say about this stuff. Yeah, what's going on? I, I mean, it's just something that probably only applies or is only of interest to a real select small group of people that are nootropics. The, the search volume is pretty high on this. Is stuff. it really? Well, well then I'm wrong. Okay, um, but but the, the point is, guys, tianeptine is not a, a dietary ingredient. Tianeptine is a prescription drug. Let me slow that down and speak it over again for those of you that didn't hear it or are a little hard of hearing or just dumb. <laughs> Tianeptine is not a dietary ingredient. It never will be a dietary ingredient. It is a prescription drug, a prescription psychotropic but, drug. But time out. It's not a prescription drug in America. As I, yes, as I can tell, As I can tell on drugs.com, it's not listed there. And well, it's Wikipedia, okay. but Wikipedia Just because it's a drug is not sold commercially does not mean it's a prescription drug. Hmm. Okay, that's, so not, the that that's okay. not the definition of a prescription drug. Explain. Okay. The definition of a pr prescription drug in the United States, and I'm just kind of, you know, uh, right. giving you the, the higher level overview. This is a lawyer is, right, talking. Okay, and I'm not a lawyer. As I see it as a layman is, it's a compound that you can't safely use by yourself and you would need a physician to give you advice or instruction to use safely. Tianeptine has been utilized in other countries and even in the United States. Guys, by the way, Investigational new drug applications, plenty of them have been filed on TNFTN going back to the 90s. Okay, anything that has an IND filed on it before it was a dietary ingredient can essentially never be a dietary ingredient. There's a whole bunch. I mean, I can't believe nobody's you know looked in the USPTO to see how many patents there are on TNFTN in America. Okay, for a variety of uh, 
psychological and psychotropic purposes. Okay, so, so why are you so fired up about this stuff? Like I mentioned, it's uh, available. It's aggravating. Just, I mean, it's just yet another stupid thing that the industry's doing. That's gonna, it's gonna be another black eye. You this know, this isn't sports nutrition. Though. It doesn't matter. It's dietary supplements. It's just another dumb thing. Uh, that and, and maybe it will be dietary supplements. I mean, it does have a psychological effect. Maybe some moron will try to put it in a pre-workout. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it, what does this stuff do? What, is, well, uh, T and Neptine, it, it's a it's a psychotropic drug. It's been studied for depression and a variety of other you know psychiatric maladies. Um, you know, I remember a French company that I'm not going to, I can't name, but it studied it extensively in the 90s. It's, it's been that and similar compounds to it have been you know studied in humans with the intent of developing it into drugs. It's been, it, it's gone beyond the bench top. It's actually made it into clinical research, okay, sanctioned, approved by the FDA for exploration as a prescription drug in America. So it's not an over-the-counter drug, and it's definitely not a dietary ingredient, and it can never be a dietary ingredient. So anybody that's, you know, you know, don't hate me, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't hate me for just telling you the truth, okay? You should be angry at the people that are trying to say that it's safe and it's, it's innocuous and you could just use it as a nootropic compound and, 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 and that's that. And it's legal for you to, to buy it over the counter. 100%, I would be, I, I guarantee the FDA doesn't agree with that. No way. Okay, but okay, your average user doesn't care about some of that. They are looking for uh, something with effects. Uh, what effects would it provide and why? And for, okay, the reason this came up is because we heard of someone getting hooked on this stuff and it was bad news. I can, so, agree. I can see that happening. And so, yeah, what, what happens? Well, I mean, it, it's got a, a profound psychotropic effect. I mean, it's been, there are people studying it for, you know, uh, depression, for people that had, uh, you know, manic, manic depressive disorders as an antipsychotic. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, it really can alter your brain chemistry in, in in a pretty serious way. And if you get you know acclimated to that, it may be very difficult to stop using it. So, it, it, you know, I'm not saying it is addicting. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It may be. It may not be. But I'm just telling you, it's not a dietary ingredient. It is not legal to be sold as a dietary supplement or in a dietary supplement. And I think that the folks that are buying it from wherever, probably China, and bringing it in here and selling it as a nootropic. Once the FDA gets wind of it, you guys should expect a knock and talk, <laughs> to say the least. Okay, and so now, now that I know this, like I have this stuff listed on PriceFlow, is it time to like shut that page down and redirect? Like I don't want any part of this. Look, I, I can't tell you what to do. I can't give you so legal you advice. Yeah, I know. I'm going to tell you as a friend, friend, as a friend, friend, one friend to another. I would, I would definitely, you know, take it off. See if you can remove any, you know you know, cash shade, you know, files and be done with it. It's not a dietary ingredient. Guys, the, the, I, and I don't know if it's going to hurt anybody or not, but this, just the fact that it's not a dietary ingredient never can be. The other thing is there's so many patents on it. I mean, I'm surprised these drug companies aren't, if they find out about it, they're going to come and hammer people too because you're selling something that they spent a lot of money and time on and they mm -hmm. couldn't make any money on. So why should they allow you to do it? Okay. But the, the point of the matter is, uh, it's, it's just one of these things that just gives our industry, you know, dietary supplements, another black guy, another reason for the media to hate us, another reason for the FDA to overreact and ban and make things more difficult, the legit stuff, for us to sell and get. So it's, if you're selling TNFT, I, I hope you'll hear me and you'll stop. Okay, I suspect you won't because you're probably making good money on it. Okay, well, look, that's why people now five more people are going to be selling. Well, that's, that's why people do dumb things. Okay, it's, it's mm -hmm. usually money. You know, me, me included. Okay, I've done dumb things for mm -hmm. money. I'm not going to say that I haven't. Learn from my errors. Don't do dumb things for money. Don't sell tea and Epstein. And if you're using it because you've been told it's kind of innocuous and, and harmless, you know, you could go on PubMed and. 
type in TNF teen in human or TNF teen in clinical research, and a fair amount of stuff's going to pop up. And you should take a look at some of the side effects profiles in, in these things. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm all for freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm all for people having, you know, freedom to do what they want to their body or not. But I'm also of the opinion that people should make those decisions uh, under the auspices of, you know, free choice with, with full information. So if somebody just told you, you read it on, on a sales page, you know, it's just a nootropic, it'll make you smarter. And they didn't tell you about all the other drug studies on it where there were profound side effects and it didn't make it as a drug in the United States because of some of those side effects, mm-hmm. okay? If you have that information and you still want to use it, okay, that's a different discussion. But if you were never told that, you were just told it's a dietary ingredient and the idea is, well, they're kind of safe, right? Dietary ingredients, they're all natural and they're not going to hurt me. Yeah, they could. Just remember something, guys, okay? You know, uh, heroin is, 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 I guess you could sell that as a dietary ingredient too because it's naturally occurring, right? I mean, but, but, I mean, or morphine or, you know, strychnine or all the other things. Naturally occurring doesn't mean it's healthy or good for you. I'm going to close out right now, possibly. And so you can subscribe to Price Plow's YouTube channel here because we got Bruce here today and <laughs> we have a whole lot more coming. All right, Bruce. Hey, everyone. Mike with PriceLaw.com. This is Bruce Neller. And so, world-class supplement formula. I've been, saying that, all, I've been saying that all <laughs> day again. long. No. So, we just had a video on TNFTine, and uh, you got very animated. But I, I wanted to ask, um, let's say that this ingredient had not been patented in, in America at all. And there are companies that wanted to sell it as a research chemical. And, they, and a lot of people are selling things as research chemicals. They're, they're saying, you know, this is a gray area. It's not a supplement, but I can sell it for research purposes. What's your take on that? I have mixed feelings about the whole RC sort of uh, industry, okay? Um, typically, when things are sold in, in like little baggies and can't easily by, be used by idiots, okay? And, and it can only be used effectively by people that have done at least, you know, rudimentary research on it, uh, I'm less inclined to ban it. Especially if there's no claim that it does something or it's safe. It says, hey, this is, we'll use TNFTine for example. This is a bag full of TNFTine and we're just going to sell you five grams for 50 bucks and that's the end of it. We're making no claim. We're not telling you to eat it or consume it. We're not making any efficacy or safety claims or that it's anything more than a bag full of TNFTine or, or whatever, okay? You know, mm-hmm. you know, with some egregious exceptions, you know, uh, excluded. You know, things that are analogs or, you know, closely related to controlled substances. Um, probably should not be sold as research chemicals. But, you know, other things, I, I don't have a problem with it. And that's how the whole SARM industry kind of developed. I mean, right, SARM, SARM yeah. were research chemicals, and when they were sold just as research chemicals, I didn't really have that much of an issue with it. You didn't? No, I really didn't, because there were so few people that were using it, and the people that were using it, uh, still, if they, if they ate it, or they, or they made any indication that it was a dietary ingredient or safe or effective for anything, they're breaking the law, okay? But most of the folks that were involved in that were pretty educated. I mean, they knew, you know, what these things were and how they worked, and they had they a lot of them knew, you know, more about the side effects and had pulled the clinical studies more than I did. I mean, I mean, a lot of these folks online sort of educated me going back into like 2013, 2014 mm-hmm. when they sur- they first kind of surfaced. So I don't necessarily have a a problem with the research chemical thing. I think the FDA does. I keep mentioning the FDA. People are going to hate me. Like I'm, they think I'm this pro FDA guy. I'm just pro fair. Okay. I think the FDA doesn't like research chemicals, and I think they will try to find a way to prosecute you if you're selling them. Uh, and the case may be, you know, strong or weak. You know, I, I'm not an attorney; I don't know. But me personally, just as a regular guy, this is just okay. Your personal opinion, personal guy. I don't really have a problem because you know the, there's a barrier to entry when you know you're getting a little baggie full of white powder. You have to have a scale. 
and ways to titrate things and make serial dilutions. And it, it requires a, a pretty determined effort to use stuff. I mean, unless you just got to dump a bag of white powder in your mouth, and there's idiots that might do that too. But right. for well, the most part, it requires a concerted effort and some research and some other equipment, you know, to use it. Um, so you get a little more feisty when, when claims start getting made. That's right. what I started realizing in that last video is when it you're makes selling it as a right. tropic or you're selling right. it as these things and not talking about the potentials or linking to the so, studies. So the issue I have is this. When it goes from something in a little white baggie with a label on it with no claims to what it is other than, say, the cast number of the chemical and the IUPAC name of the chemical mm -hmm. on the baggie to something that's in a capsule in a little plastic you know, white HDP 120cc round with a label on it and it says dietary supplement on it, well, you've broken the law. It's not a dietary supplement because mm -hmm. the stuff inside is not a dietary ingredient. Or when there's directions on how to use this stuff are recommended like take two of these capsules a day. You've, broke, you've clearly broken right. the law, okay? okay? And that is, is, you've also made it easy to use because people are really, you know, opening up a bottle and taking a capsule is very easy. It's a lot easier than, you know, opening up a baggie full of white powder and, you know, in most cases, you know, using it. So um, that's when these things go from sort of, uh, you know, fringe to more mainstream. And that's when problems really develop. So, um, you know, again, yeah. I have mixed emotions about research chemicals. Uh, I think some of them that have been sold should never have been sold because of the nature of them. Uh, just me personally, that some of them are really dangerous and people have died using them. Mm -hmm. uh, look at DNP, perfect example. DNP, people, people took DNP, um, it was sold as a research chemical, and they died. I mean, they got cooked to death. I mean, yeah. yeah it the, the guys, like a horrible death. Right, like a, a horrible, miserable death, okay? Uh, that for a long time, we didn't really know of a way to sort of, you know, cure it or treat it. And there are some ways that, I'm, I'm not saying it's a good idea, I don't want to talk about how it's treated, because I don't want anybody to think I can take it safely. You can't use DMP safely, okay? I don't, I don't want to hear that you can, okay? There's no way to use it. I don't want to hear or see comments like, I used it and lost 50 pounds and nothing happened to me. Good, you're the exception. But re realistically, you got lucky. It wasn't because of any deft skill that you had, okay? But putting that in a bag and selling it, that probably should never have happened. I know that and people died. Um, I guess there's no law against being stupid, right? Um, but again, we should have... We call them Darwin Awards for a reason. Right. Some <laughs> stupid, right? Uh, I, I, it's just that people should be aware of the risks of, of, of what could happen or as, as much knowledge as we have regarding what could happen when they buy these things. And again, um, putting it in capsules or tablets or some kind of powder and putting it in a container and calling it a dietary supplement, there's kind of an underlying thought that, well, it must be safe because it's a dietary supplement. Well, it's not even a dietary supplement. You lied. Mm -hmm. You broke the law. Right. So you, you created a false sense of security amongst consumers that what they were you know, buying from you had a reasonable expectation of being safe. And that's clearly not the case. So that's where I have the problem with, is when it, it kind of goes from over here, with a few people using it as research chemicals, to over here, where somebody puts it in a tablet or a capsule or a powder and flavors right. it, and says it's a dietary supplement and it'll do this, that, and the other thing, and this is how many doses a day you gotta eat, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's when it becomes really problematic. Gotcha. Yeah, so even though I think the FDA or DEA uh, would say that the Bruce definition is not strict enough, I think, I personally think that's, that's fair, and so I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you for the, for the time being right, right now. Anyway, subscribe to the channel because we have a whole lot more coming. And uh, Bruce has made a major announcement this morning. So you can check out that video. We'll link down to it below. And uh, we have his hot new stimulant that is uh, not yet out, but it is good. So it's only thanks, good. Thanks, it's only good. Uh, I want it to be good. I said, I said it kidding. good like I'm good. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Give an honest <laughs> assessment. All right. All right thank you.
What's going on, Price Law Nation? CJ here, and I've got a couple of special guests with me. You guys might, at this point, have seen a few videos with these guys on it. Uh, we've actually, it's a Thursday, middle of the week, but we've been filming all day, pretty much. Uh, so just real quick, introduce yourself, guys. We'll start with you, Josh. So Josh Shaw, um, consumer product goods strategist, uh, Worked in the industry for the last almost about 10 years. Uh, Bruce Neller, uh, general thorn in the side of the industry for about 25 <laughs> years, maybe. Yeah, uh, now I've, I've been just, you know, I guess, I don't know, an, an old hand that's been around the block for, yeah, about two and a half decades. I feel like I feel like both these guys are playing down their resumes a little bit, uh, but right. two two incredibly influential guys, and, and both of you guys have been around for some really important things. Especially you, Bruce. Obviously, you've been around forever. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That's a <laughs> Josh is a millennial like me, so we're we're st I guess we're still kind of green, but I think we're slowly not getting so green, right? Like I think we're the big biggest generation now. Is that what it is? yeah? So. You guys yeah, are. You really so. are. <laughs> well, so today uh, we're we're going through a ton of topics, and one thing that I wanted to get into because this is very interesting like Bruce you're an old-school guy man you're 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 a legacy in yourself man so you oh, know all God. about the legacy brands <laughs> right uh, you know Josh and I we, we're seeing like a new landscape of the industry both uh, entrepreneurs and like spent some time in this like I want to I want to hear from both of you guys like how is the supplement industry landscape changing marketing to the millennial generation or the next gen versus Gen X or the baby boomers you know prior to that after you <laughs> um, you know I think what I I guess I see the biggest point of differentiation in terms of uh, of the generation is is that you know Millennials in general like we want to be a, a bigger part of the brands that we support like we want to know the the story behind them we want to know who's involved like you know are, if we're spending a dollar where's that dollar going um, you know so people like CEOs or, or wherever we want to know the backstories about a little bit of everything and I guess the the good and the bad about that is that you then become so involved with the brands that you want to support that you believe that your voice um, is is just as strong as anybody else's, just you know, just as strong as the CEOs. And and I think the biggest kind of difference is that a millennial really does ask um, or tells their opinion uh, of anything. Could be flavor, could be products, could be whatever. And you know, it could be conceived as a bad thing. Um, I personally always think it's great because it's a anytime a a fan or a customer or any wants to engage with you, that's an opportunity for you then to uh, basically give them what they want. Which I think you had prior generations that never spoke up, so you really never knew like what they wanted, what could be better. You know, all these different things. Where you know, you obviously have to like sift through it. There's 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 definitely things that people are just you know venting about their um, experiences or what they would like but there's a lot of value in just like listening to your consumers and like really understanding like what what they want out of this uh, experience it should be it should be one of those things where you are giving them value they they're obviously asking of something of you um, and that's that opportunity then to make them not only a fan but like a, a very big brand advocate where they start Kind of that snowball effect where they tell five friends, five friends, five, you know, and all of a sudden your brand has kind of a life of its own where uh, before prior generations, like there was less kind of opinionation, opinion, you know, right, right. you know, so it's one of those things where you didn't really have that opportunity to really um, give that individualized 
kind yeah. of service. Yeah, Gen-, Gen X just did what they were told, right? And like now it's, uh, you've got it. So let me, <laughs> That's let me a bunch of zombies, yeah. Oh, yeah. So obviously, well, you know, I always look at it like Gen X is like, the, that's the generation of hard work, right? Uh, you know, the millennials is, is a very, I hate to say that you lazy? Know, it's not hard work. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of association with lazy, but I, I think it's very different. But before I even get into my you know, point of view here, I right. want to hear from Bruce because obviously I'm kind of with you where I think it's a good thing with the, the everything changing the way it is that more people have a voice, but I know that you might have a different take on well, it. Well, obviously for me it's been you know a little frustrating because I'm not a millennial and I, I growing up when I did, you know, in the 80s, we were programmed to think, you know, differently. Not better or worse, just differently. So the way that I'm, I'm going to approach this is um, it doesn't matter whether I like millennials or what they stand for or I don't. If I want them as a customer, I need to make them happy. Sure. I have to give them a reason to try my product and to like it and to keep coming back. Um, so a lot of the points that Josh made are, are right on. The, the, the buy-in to the brand to feel like they're part of the team, that their voice matters, even if it really doesn't. You have to you have to make them feel that they have to buy in on so it. So let me ask you this though. So you said like it doesn't, right? And I just play devil's advocate here. I think that the misconception is objectively it does, even though it doesn't feel right. It's like well, the guy in his basement or the guy that doesn't have a million dollars is influencing a million dollar company, but he's still influencing. So but, but not but not on a micro basis. So here's the thing, okay? If one guy, you know contacts you and wants, like we talked about before, some weirdo flavor of a free workout or a protein. Uh, you, I'm not saying you should ignore him, you should obviously answer him and, and address his concern and thank him for mm-hmm. taking the time to, to, to contact you, but you're probably not going to make that, that whack on that flavor, okay? But if 60 or 70 people contact you and say, you know, your chocolate's too sweet, well, you really need to take that into consideration. Maybe your chocolate sure. is too sweet. Maybe you need to, you know, dial back on uh, Stevie or Ace K or whatever it is you're putting into it. So, from a, from a bigger, you know, macroscopic standpoint, it's very important to engage with millennials as a group. Whereas maybe on an individual level, um, you still have to be aware of it and, and, and remember it because you want to keep track of data and plot trends. But it may not be as uh, I guess important or congruent for you know long-term strategy for the business. Um, you know, it, hey, you guys are here, yeah. so people like me, we, we either deal with you or we, or we go away. So I mean, how do we adapt in this landscape, Josh? You might be able to answer that. I mean, obviously, everybody wants. And look, I I feel this. I mean, we're we're not like the biggest YouTube channel, but I get so many comments, so many direct messages on so many platforms that it's almost ridiculous for me as one person to be able to answer everybody's concerns or talk back to everybody. I do my best, but I, I mean, I'm curious. I mean, that's that's a valid point, right? Um, yeah, I, I think you know, there's obviously always a positive and a negative to anything. I mean, I, I'm I'm extremely positive on the internet and, and everything that it kind of provides for brands. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, kind of the thing we've all kind of touched on, is that there's a feedback loop that was never there before, where you are always kind of guessing, and the only kind of metric you had was how many sales were out the door. And and people might agree that, that that's the, the only metric that matters, but it's one of these things where now you have the ability to see people's thoughts about your product. If, if it's an Amazon review, is it a message on social media? Is it them posting about it? Is it, it just, just in general like engagement that you're getting? I, I personally think that's, it's amazing. Now, where I think you're touching on it, CJ, is that like companies are not set up to, to kind of handle that. You know, they've, especially legacy brands, like most of their 
kind of investment has been on salespeople. Right. It's not been on kind of customer service or customer kind of experience or, people. Yeah, or influencers. Yeah. Or influence or whatever where like, so you're getting a, you know, a bunch of messages and, and trust me, it's like tenfold with even smaller brands and they're not really set up for just the time suck that kind of gets in there where you're answering people individually, um, you're doing all these things. And, you know, we, we we touched on it like kind of on an earlier basis, but you know, there, you know, there's tech solutions, there's whatever. But at the end of the day is like you have to understand that that is a, a huge element of the game now. Yeah. People want to have that engagement. Engagement is like king. Like that is above all. That's how you're going to really get people to be like brand advocates. So you need to invest in you know the proper technology, the proper labor, the pro like whatever you need to do to restructure people's jobs, like whatever it needs to be like if if you're going to really play against, you know, and try to get the millennial buyers and not only millennial buyers but, you know, generation Z that's coming up next that are going to be even more wanting that individualization and wanting to like talk to you, yeah. like you're going to need to just like f have a whole like paradigm shift in terms of like where uh, you put your resources at. So it's no longer going to be so much about outside salespeople and all these different things. It's about like how much you can control your brand message on uh, on the internet, on social media, on, on Amazon, on yeah. whatever it is. Those are where you're going to get your most bang for your buck down, not so much of just having a bunch of people drive around and hit a couple brick and mortar stores. So Bruce, uh, I've always found this, maybe you disagree with me here, man. Uh, see if I can poke some fire out of you. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, I've always felt like Gen X or some of my, you know, the, 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 my, my parents' generation, like, were somewhat hypocritical with some of the things that they would say because they would say things like, you know, the millennial generation is lazy, right? Yet they're butthurt because they actually have to comment back to each person commenting on their YouTube channel. <laughs> well, well and uh, that, like, that's a good point. The engagement thing you're talking about, you're right, there is, there is some hypocrisy there. Um, and it is kind of laughable. I mean, how do I criticize you if I'm doing the same thing that you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not credible anymore. But one of the things that I think is really important about engagement that kind of adds on to what Josh was saying is just how fast it is and the turnaround time that, that people demand. For, for folks in my generation, you know, we're used to email. So right. if somebody got back to me in 48 hours, that was okay. Well, we're seeing people that they're unhappy if you don't get back to them within minutes. Yeah. Okay, and, and the other thing about it is um, People are really, really fast to criticize a brand negatively, and it has huge, like huge consequences. I mean, you know, one really negative review, like say on Amazon or whatever, it could really hurt a brand sales for a long time. Um, people, people will, will zoom in on that negative, that two star or that one star review on Amazon or somewhere else, and they'll focus on that, but they won't really focus on the 35 five-star reviews that well, now I, what do you think leads because so i'll give you you know just kind of speak from uh, the price Ball nation watching this know like we command a group of people that you know are ride or die for what we do right we also have a lot of people that are haters out there there's a lot of people that don't like us you know but our relate our positive relationships are so much stronger and it's an emotional connection more than more than anything and I find that even in this scenario that let's say we upset a big brand, like we, we could upset a really big brand. We have. I mean, we've gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jim Stavani. 
that didn't really negatively affect us though. And now, do you think it's because of the way that we use our strategy that's different than like big businesses don't really build on relationships okay. as much as the grassroots? But, but, but you're, inter- you're, you're missing one point. Sure. And maybe it didn't, it didn't negatively in- interfere or interact or, or hurt price plow, but that brouhaha with you and Stepani, did it hurt Stepani and his brand? It may have. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's instantaneous. It's quick. And let's not forget, the, the internet tends to be permanent. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if you're a brand, especially a legacy brand, and you, you don't really quite understand how millennials think and work, you almost have to walk on eggshells and be extra super, almost sacrilegiously nice to these people, okay, and give them extra time because there really is more than an existential risk that you, you could so blow you, your brain up. Well, how do you explain like a Ridge Piana as an example um, where... He literally built a brand on like saying outlandish stuff and almost pissing people off. Look, I mean, he was he was true to his personal brand, and the people that were interested in five percent were interested in that lifestyle or his his personal kind of yeah. brand. Um, you know, I think to your guys' point about the, kind of the negativity. I, me personally, like when I'm talking to clients, like I love negative comments because that again, like it takes a certain type of person to comment negatively, and I'm talking more per- from a, a review standpoint, not so much yeah, like you're a trolling, right. yeah. not a trolling thing, like an that's an opportunity for you to like speak to them, understand their problems, and really like turn that around. Like mm-hmm. they just want to be heard. Like yeah. they, they, they had some bad experience for whatever reason, and they just want to be heard. Yeah. So to me, I much love like those people more than the people that don't say anything because I, I don't know. Like I don't know who they are. I don't know what they want. I don't know what they need. It's very hard for me to like suggest things if there's really no customer data out there and that at least provides that. One thing about that, and you're totally right, is that I just wish that some of these people that just you know, blow up a brand or a product and neg the shit out of them, you know, contact the brand before you do that. I mean, I, I, can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've you know, turn on a, you know, my laptop to see, you know, a message that there's a negative thing about something that a brand did, and you know, they never tried to resolve it with the brand, or it wasn't the, yeah. the brand's fault. Okay, uh, you know, if you want to, this is just general. If you don't like something a brand's doing, okay, contact them. If they don't get back to you, and if you want to leave a negative review, that's fine. Or if their answer didn't satisfy you, that's fine. But before you want to blow them up, at least have the courtesy to contact them and try to see if if you can work on a solution, have your questions answered. I, well, I guess at the end of the day, though, like, I mean, let's. We, we got to face the obvious here too is that I, there's a lot of things like I, I get people all the time that are starting a business and I'll say like you know what are you doing on social media and I'm like well I really don't do social media and I'm like well then fuck off like like and it's it, and that's not me trying to be shitty it's like I actually don't always like social media to a lot of extent yeah. but it's the world I live in and so same thing to what your point is it's like yeah it does kind of suck that they can immediately give you a Yelp review or they can say something to two million followers without having to go to you first or you have an opportunity to respond but it is what it is right so really like how do we address the world that we live in versus like wishing it was different like you can, I mean that's kind of the, the thing I always say this is I say the, like the internet is not going to shut off tomorrow. It's not going to. It's, it's not going to happen. Right. Like so, this is the world that you live in at this point. There's no point to be complaining about how it used to be, or even if you were at one point winning in social media, and all of a sudden the algorithms change, and you're you're pissed off, and you're like, mm. why am I not winning anymore? Like you need to adapt. Like like the key to any successful business person doesn't matter. It's constant adaptation to you know the environment that's around you so like the only way for you to like continuously improve is to adapt so it's one of these things where to me like 
you know, we're talking about millennials or whatever, like how do you market to them? I mean, the key, everybody's carrying around a computer in their ha in their hands at this point. Like yeah. you need to be where the attention's at. Like people, people like the, the first world now is like your phone. Second world is, is here. So yeah. like, don't be upset that people will spend more time looking at a device than they will look at you as a person. The key is to how do you target those people? How, like they're on this, how do you get people to pay attention to you? That's how you win. Like if you wanna to continue to play the game like it's 1985 or 1999, it's no longer there anymore and it's not coming back. So it's like- That's uh, a good point. Yeah, and and you, you brought up, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's not coming back, guys. So all of you, all of you guys out there think, you know, it's you know next quarter, next year. You know, it's going to change. It's going to be different. It's going to be like it was in 1999, or even we'll say 2010. It's not. It's going to evolve, and it's going to be something that's substantially different. And you need to be very mindful in your communications, both publicly and privately, with with millennials. Because you know, one of the things that I'm doing now, and I've got a little sticky note on my computer, is you know, before you hit send or enter. Go read what you're writing and make sure that that's something you would you would be willing to say to yourself. Or say to somebody. Or say to somebody. You know, it, 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 you know in real life. Okay? To my chest. Well, I mean, really, right? the dog call that shocks me. But I mean, really, it, it's a, it's probably a good practice for everybody. Is it's what you're conveying to not just millennials but anybody. Is this something that you're willing to you know be made public for everybody to see? permanently is this how you represent your brand so just because we get a lot more traffic now from millennials than we did say you know five years ago you know it's, it's easier and quicker and faster uh, sometimes you know the, the incoming message is negative and people's response might be to reply in a hostile manner stop right there yeah don't reply in a hostile walk away from your your phone or your computer calm down and come back you know in an hour or two and then address it. Just don't instantly hit the, the enter button. This would be like, this is how I want to kind of wrap it up. This is my theory, and I don't know if I can get you guys' feedback. The difference between this uh, new generation of consumer versus the prior one is that money is less valuable. Like, they don't prioritize money like the, the, the previous generation that the relationship, yeah. the emotion is so much more important. Like we talked about the fact that you know, millennials, they have less money or they live in a basement or whatever, but, but there's also a huge group and I, I can tell you, like look at Ghost, right? That's not the cheapest pre-workout. Sell shit out of pre-workouts, they're cool. I think that the reality is if you're cool, then you, you know, you're, you're emotionally grabbing that consumer and that's what they want now. It's not that, you're the cheapest or bought the most ads or whatever it's it's the relationship well i mean i guess from like kind of the first point that i was talking about in terms of like just brand storytelling and like the internet provides that and everything like to your point like with ghost or some of these other brands like they really understand like what their brand is they understand the lifestyle that that brand is conveying and they know how to target that specific people which um is is not what legacy brands have have had before they're the the difference in why i am always the biggest proponent of of digital internet any of that kind of stuff is it provides you the opportunity to understand like exactly who your customer is you have you have demographic break analytics you have customer data you have all these different things that previous kind of generations or legacy brands or whatever that worked um with a GNC or a vitamin shop or a Walmart or a whatever channel they worked in, they really never had the opportunity to speak or know who their actual customer was. Walmart knows who their customer is. You know, GNC knows who their customer is because they own all the data. They own everything like that. Where brands now, 
they have the ability to kind of take that in house and understand, okay, I'm building this lifestyle and I have kind of like, you know, found that those are my buyers. And now I double down on that because I understand that's exactly, I found a niche, I found something. And, and to your point, like with Ghost, I mean, it's been something in the industry for, for I'd say last five or seven years. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, Dan and those guys, like they've said like, the, the majority of people that buy products are not the bodybuilders. Like every, you right. know, it's, yeah. it's building lifestyle brands, it's building these brands that, you know, for the 99% that, you know, don't, um, that don't want to compete, um, but you build products, I guess, that would be, a, a, you know, appease the people that actually would, um, would want like efficacious yeah. types of products. So it's, you know. So, okay, so you got these, these brands doing that, but here's the big elephant in the room because you're now in this weird generation, like we just went out to Nutrax Research, huge legacy company, man, like uh, amazing guys there. The feeling that I'm getting is how do we reinvent ourselves in this new climate? They've already built a whole like infrastructure of something that now is less marketable than what it was. Look, right? look at the good can thing. You, yeah. look, can you reinvent look yourself? At, look at, so it's not, all the things that millennials do are not negative. Some of them are really positive and better now than they've ever been in the history of dietary supplements and sports nutrition. And one of them is the, the sheer amount and quickness you're gonna get data or feedback. Okay, right. that's awesome. If you know what to do with it, you could take that stuff and build yeah. the, the shit out of a brand. But if you don't value it and you don't understand how to how to mine it and look at it and, and react to it, you're dead. You're over. Right. So I think the, the the biggest plus for the millennial generation is their willingness to share their opinions and what they want and what makes them happy. And so do, you, do you think that a big company like like Nutrex or Gaspari or like like you name whatever big legacy out there can BSN? Uh, like I, I see companies trying to do that. You know who's a, who's one that did it? In my opinion, was VPX. I do, but I, they reinvented but themselves. Well, they yeah. had to create yeah. a whole nother product. Right. I mean, yeah. Jack, they're Jack, not even BPX anymore. They're bang. Right? Jack, like, Jack, Jack Owick was really smart with that. I, I'll give Jack a lot of props. He basically took a company that was teetering on the edge of, of not existing anymore and turned it around to be one of the most successful companies out there now with his bang product. I mean, he saw what people want, uh, mined the data, saw the writing on the wall, and adapted to the change. Now, the question is, can every legacy brand do that? Absolutely not. Some of them will. And again, the smarter ones are the one that, that and I'm going to give you a little plug here, the ones that are going to seek out a, a guy like Josh or Josh to say, hey, listen, you know, our sales are tanking, our margins are, are getting crushed, help me. What, can you, what information can you help me with? Uh, or what, here's my data, help me, help me utilize it in a creative way, in a way that lets me make money. And there's going to be ones where you've got a, an owner or a, a C-suite where the guys are arrogant and egotistical and they just think they can fix it themselves. But again, if you can mine the data that the millennials are providing, Man, that's like gold. I don't even know how it's it's better than anything. Yeah, we, we never had that, man. We, you know, what we used to do it's like almost like throwing darts in the dark. You just hope that you came up with something and people liked it. Now you can actually find out in a, in a matter of hours what millions of people like. That's just amazing. Yeah, and and I would say to to your point, TJ, in terms of like can a legacy uh, brand adapt? Um, it's been kind of a uh, kind of a, a small like obsession of mine is like understanding like legacy brands and how they can kind of like re, uh, you know kind of reinvigorate their their brand, and I think a lot of it comes down to the the way the the business is capitalized. And I don't and I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but you know it depends on is that legacy brand still kind of like 
wholly owned by the people that kind of started it or that you know whatever and there's a lot more opportunity for them to take chances and ha and actually play more of a long game and like reinvent themselves or do they have you know private equity money and it's all about we want to make our extra 5, 10, 15% for the next seven years because then we want to exit. That's a different thing because they're not willing to take those chances to reinvent themselves. Yeah. It's a matter of like, how do I get scale? How do I eliminate costs? How do I do these things? Because I want to flip this in seven years, yeah. um, you know, because my, uh, all of my investors in this group want to make sure they get their return. Gotcha. And I think that's kind of where I believe, like, and I've talked to a lot of them, and honestly, like, I was a little bit, um, you know, naive at the beginning because I was like, I can change these legacy companies. Yeah. I, I have these great ideas. These are ideas that can really um, change the game for them. And what I found was there was a stark difference between how it was taken based around how the business was capitalized. He, and, he's got a, you got a really good point. I think that if you're a legacy brand and you're not doing well and you look for a big capital infusion from like a VC firm or a PE firm, you're just prolonging your death, right. okay? And the reason I say that is we're seeing that with a couple of a lot of them, there a lot of these people that got absorbed recently. That right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. So what happens is you, me another year. You bring in the, maybe less than that, right? right. You, you you bring in the PE money. They got want somebody from their company probably in as a CFO of your company now, and they don't have a good understanding of the, of the industry. They just understand you know pluses and minuses on a balance sheet. And you know this is kind of a cottage industry, as big as it is, uh, and it's a little bit unusual. And if they don't have a, a a good feel for it, and you know they they can't say, hey, listen, we kind of need to reinvent part or all of our brand. They just want to keep going down the same line mm -hmm. and just try to milk as much money out as they can for their investors. Then that that brand may really be doomed. Well, I think what's interesting to me, um, and I know it's going a little long, so we'll we'll make this the end. But uh, so here at Price Plow. Mike, I said this to you guys off camera, but like uh, Mike's in his mid thirties, but he acts like total, like he's well into the Gen X the way he, he acts. He's an old soul. Uh, him and Robert, both old souls. Mm -hmm. So, but the cool thing that he does is, is I think that he recognizes that as he he doesn't understand or doesn't even really necessarily want to understand that next generation of consumer, at least to the level I do. So he allows me the freedom to be able to, like he doesn't know what a vlog is or didn't give a shit what a vlog, but, but it wow. matters now, right? <laughs> And yeah, so it, it doesn't matter, you know. I think, what did he? What did we? We got the damn uh, Myoblox Illa. What's this Illa? You know, is that like Yolo? Like I don't, you know. But but it's you know. But I think that if a company like you said is willing enough to let go of the we like to be humble enough to say like, you know, we we're, we can't do this on our own. We need somebody that's a visionary within this generation, or at least understands this mindset today. Then they maybe have a fighting chance, I guess. But otherwise, it's. How long until the end? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, like I said, I mean, I don't know if it's the end or, or if it's you know just a different iteration. And everybody has what's their purpose. I guess you know the purpose is try to get as much um, profitability extraction out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you, it's going to be very hard for those legacy brands to to change and completely like adjust their sales channels, their marketing um, initiatives, all those types of things. That, that's gonna be a, a two to three year thing before you can even get it back to baseline. You're gonna, you're gonna have uh, a lot of uh, bad years. So it's just a matter of you know, how long you see that process going through, how patient you are, how, how willing you're let to let that kind of go through the runway. But you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's just one of these things that, um, you know, it's just completely different models at this point, you know, legacy brands and then brands that are now like starting out with millennials as yeah. their, their main focus and their, right. you know, and they understood, they, they started as a digital company, right. you know what I mean? And, and then they kind but of... more than likely in 
15, 20 years from now, they'll be in the same boat where they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, because everything's going to kind of change and it's who can kind of keep with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, the way it is now is not going to be the way it is in seven years or t 10 years or all right guys so that actually leads us to what i think is going to be the next point uh might probably just have mike come in here for this one but i want to get with you guys on physical brick and mortars versus e-commerce i think that that's a big thing that we've been talking about a lot so uh we will be back in another video make sure you subscribe to the price Body youtube channel uh we got a lot of conversation with these guys a lot of good content coming out uh, we'll see you guys on the next one. All right. Yeah. What's going on, Priceline Nation? This is Mike, and I'm here with Bruce Neller and Josh Shaw, two very notorious industry. Notorious. Yes, we got some new words. So anyway, <laughs> we've been talking all day long about different things happening in the industry. We tried Bruce's new stimulant. Josh has come in and chimed in about retail and everything, and how to start a new brand and just different ideas. Um, what came up in the last video really was the hot news from what was it like about a week ago? Because today is February twenty second of twenty eighteen. GNC Valentine's Day. It was, Valentine's it was on Day. Valentine's Day. GNC got saved by some new sweethearts. $300 million worth of investment coming out of China. Mm -hmm. Are we being invaded? What is the story, Bruce? The story is, uh, as far as I know, as like I said, a regular Joe just looking in the news is, you know, they're the way that I can, only way I can look at it is they must be teetering on the brink of insolvency um, to, to give away so much of the company for what I think is so relatively little money. Do you want to make your disclaimer right now because you're doing that. Well, we're also my, live on Instagram. Yeah, so my disclaimer so. is I'm not an investment guy and I have, you know, I can't give you investment advice. I'm just a, a regular Joe, you know, giving my, my opinion as a layman. And, and my opinion as a layman is they're, they're really in big trouble. I mean, some people may disagree with me and think that this $300 million lifeline is going to be saving them. I think it just delays the inevitable by maybe a year or two. What is the inevitable? The inevitable is someone else is going to have to come in and throw them another Hail Mary with more money and they're going to be diluted more or they're going to get broken up and sold off uh, by the vultures. And so when you mean broken up and sold off, do you mean like the different stores that are underperforming? Is whatever, real whatever, whatever real estate, whatever assets they have, intellectual property, um, you know, everything. I just, I don't know how, boy, I was really stunned and shocked. Not so much that they got money from, from China because that's not a big deal. But for how what I consider how little they got, how much they had, how really how much they had to give up uh, to get that little piece of money, relatively speaking. Now, three hundred million dollars is not a small amount of money, but compared to what you know, GNC's market cap has been in the past, like billions of dollars. I mean, you know, to give up like forty percent of the company and have to expand your board of directors from a few people to eleven and give you know almost half the. Season. Well, let's get what are the real real numbers? It went from five to eleven, or. Six to eleven. Six to eleven. Okay. And so now the Chinese company has five of those seats. Eleven. So they just yeah. need one more person to swing over. They wouldn't even need one more person because they could probably find a way to get at least one person, uh, you know, independent director to see things their way. I mean, realistically, if you've got you know five out of eleven seats on the board, you control the board. Gotcha. I mean, okay. yeah, absolutely no doubt about it. So what's the play here then? Is, is GNC, do you think GNC is best to move into China then? Is that oh, they're going to. There's okay. no doubt about so it. So that's, that's what's happening then? Right. Uh, the thing that, that I don't understand, and you know, I've talked to, to some, some, I'll call them industry bigwigs, people have been around even longer than I have, that, that you know, have a lot of money and you know, you know, know people, is you know, the idea is let's bring GNC into China and open up GNC's all over China, and uh, you know that's that's definitely a strategy. Okay, GNC in China is looked at as a really famous brand. Chinese people look at GNC as 
you know, uh, like a Halo brand, believe it or not. Um, I don't see them opening up retail stores, brick and mortar stores, as a smart thing anywhere, China or America. So if I'm GNC, if I'm the guys in Harbin with the money and, you know, pulling the strings and making the marionette dance, I would want to take the the GNC branded products, probably make them in China for less money and sell them in China under the GNC brand because that, in my opinion, seems to be something that would resonate very well with, with people in China. Would it be the same logo or would they switch it to Absolutely. Red? Absolutely. I would keep yeah, it. GNC and red with the live well thing under it and you know whatever you have to do to get, you know, I, I mean, you're going to want the blue hat registrations and there may be some things that they can swap in and out with the Harbin Pharmaceutical Company, but even if they don't, then they just got to dump it in the, uh, the free trade zones and get it on JD.com and Taobao and Alibaba and stuff like that and just try to, and try to move product you know, that way and capitalize on, on their, their good name because, um, I mean, they're gonna, I, I think in five years from now, they're going to look like a completely different company than they've ever looked like in the past. So is this what you were just saying, like going on to JD.com and all that stuff, is this what you know to be what they're going to do or is this what Bruce Neller would do? Oh, that's what I would do. I, mean, I don't know about anything. I have no insight. I'm just speculating. If, if someone said, hey, Bruce, you know, we're going to make you the, the chairman and you know, CEO of, of uh, GNC, you know, how would you save the company? That's that's about the only play I what think they have. in America? There's, like, there's <laughs> going to be a lot of American GNC employees watching this video. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't think that, that, I think they're going to have to really start, you know, shedding dead weight and maybe selling off stores to franchisees or shuttering stores that just aren't producing. I mean, you know, maybe you keep the top, I don't know what number it is, 20%, 25% of stores. And you get, I mean, look, not for nothing, but I mean, they've got huge rents in expensive places that I don't know how they are, are covering those, okay? I mean, uh, people just aren't buying in brick and mortar the way they used to, and stuff in GNC is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Like protein's 80 bucks for like a five pound can, usually. It's usually more money to buy it on GNC, so uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do in the States. Maybe maybe Josh has so more. Josh, what I like is that Josh always uh, follows like the earnings releases and everything. So you you stayed uh, very attached to the numbers. That's kind of your background anyway. Yeah. And so do you have a slightly different perspective coming from like a numbers angle or something else? Yeah. So I also throw the disclaimer out there. Obviously, I, I'm, I'm not a financial advisor. I can't give any financial advice. This is just my opinion, and this is you know I, I do follow this stuff pretty closely. But again, this I, I have no more weight than anybody else. We can't on see this. the future. <laughs> yeah. So I mean to to Bruce's point, I mean. The, the two most profitable areas of, of GNC is private label, um, so they're GNC branded products or kind of pseudo uh, branded ones that they sell in their store, um, and then it's international um, operations. So um, you know, not just in China, but you know, in the Central America and and a bunch of other areas where they're very strong in. Um, those are the two areas that are most highly profitable. So um, in terms of you know where why I think you know this investment kind of happened was that you know there's there's an immense debt load that GNC has at this point um, and to service that debt they need to have kind of constant capital infusion fusion until they get to up to a profitability that they could pay it off organically so there were some some debtors in the uh, business that I think they wanted to um, kind of release um, because uh, of, of certain rules in terms of 
what type of moves they can make strategically. Um, and this is a way for them to kind of pay those people off in a way that um, would get them to, to, to be able to do what they want to do. Now, what do they want to do? I, I think Bruce made up uh, a lot of good points. I mean, I think um, in Asia, like the, the brand is very strong. I mean, even working on the brand side and working with, with international distributors in Asia, like they speak very highly of the GNC brand. So I think, again, like private label, they could make a ton of money with just the GNC stuff. And but. You know, to, again, to Bruce's point, I don't think you open up brick and mortar stores. I think you go exactly how the Asian market is. It's it's it is already like it's it's a few years ahead of where we are in, in the United States. They are all direct to consumer. They are all um, chat purchases. Like you know, th this is where we're going to be in the next couple of years. So you don't want to open up a bunch of these footprints um, in in China. Now, you know, to your point, Mike, in terms of like. You know, this is U.S. based. A lot of U.S. people are going to be watching this. Like, what what is the strategy in the U.S.? Um, you know, I think that they really have to take a much different approach. You know, I wrote I wrote an article about this probably about a couple of years ago. It was just when they were changing over CEOs, and I said, kind of, what what would I do if I was a CEO? Drop um, us a, drop me yeah. a link, and we'll get that in the description and everything. Yeah, and, 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 and I haven't I haven't read it in a while, so like, you, you know, it could be interesting. Yeah. yeah, so you know, and one of the biggest points that I kind of made was um, it was around two different things, and, and I think we, we kind of touched on it a little bit before about kind of shipping points and, and how you um, focus more on digital and all that. But what I kind of thought of is what a lot of retailers are trying to figure out is like how do they create an experience or create some type of benefit for somebody coming in the store and kind of the points that I was making originally was like a lot of around like omni-channel around like having the information kind of be spread across not only the customer like if they buy digital in-store like kind of their whole purchase history kind of creating a profile kind of understanding that customer but also kind of aggregating that to every single person that's like similar um, in your kind of subset of like as a customer. So like if you're a 24 year old male that's you know looking for these goals and has all these stats, like what does the other 20,000 look alike people like you buying? Uh, what are their goals? How are they doing? Like that gives you as a as like an associate, as like a, a store associate, which I think most of the people that would be interested in this in this thing is like that gives you the the ability to offer value to the customer that they didn't originally have. So like you can scale, you know, all your customers that are similar, look alike people. And then also just what that customer has purchased over their lifetime on, you know, digital this, that, whatever. And I think like providing data or having some ability to create like an experience in store is what's going to keep those stores relevant for a little bit. Um, you know, to the point, it's, it's not stopping. Digital's not stopping. Internet's not going to turn off. All these different things. So you have to think about how do you beef up digital? How do you create micro shipping points? How do you do those types of things? And I think that's where GNC goes in the future. The good thing about this investment, which I thought I read, it was more of a, also a strategic investment because they did get board members and things. So they're going to try to bring, I think, a lot of the knowledge base from the Asian markets over to the US from a technological advancements to try to help them kind of get along with with the retail uh, footprint. But I think in general, like I think GNC, like any of the other kind of brick and mortars, um, currently they're going to have to shrink a little bit. They're going to have to find where the least profitable stores are, the highest costs are. Like they need to do a really big analysis over their their whole kind of real estate um, portfolio and understand like where do we divest? What do we do? Like do we go um, do we go corporate owned? Do we do um, 
you know, franchisees, what model works, how do we do that in the U.S.? Because, you know, that's still a very big subset of their of their. Uh, I really, th I think that they're going to need some, some big austerity measures uh, in Pittsburgh. I think, yeah, the store associates, they're always in danger of losing their job because they're store associates. But um, in Pittsburgh, you know, I don't know how many levels of bureaucracy, manager, director, vice presidents they're going to have. I mean, I would be, if I'm any one of those people and have that title in my job description, I'm worried because maybe they'll only have one at the end. So, you know, one person for sports nutrition instead of three or four or a whole team. And that guy who, or girl who's left is going to have to take on an awful huge, you know, workload. Another thing that is more of an existential threat, and I don't mean to imply that they're in any danger at all, is how does, what's vitamin shop thinking, right? I mean, they see this happening. I don't know. I, I'm not really familiar with, with how they're doing. I know their information is public because they're publicly traded. But, you know, I've heard people saying, well, vitamin shop's going to eventually fold into GNC and they're going to be one big thing and then it's all going to go over to China and it's all going to be wonderful. But I've been hearing for like a half a decade now that vitamin shop's going to fold into GNC. And I, I don't know if it's going to happen. But I mean, if, if I'm vitamin shop, I have to look at what's going on to GNC and say, okay, how are we similar and how are we different? Okay, and all the things where we're similar to GNC that may have caused GNC a lot of problems, man, I'd want to shed that real quick. And the ways that were different, and you know, the good ways that were different, definitely need to maximize on those in, in, in a big way. So um, it goes back to the whole brick and mortar thing. It's, it's relevant, it's just, I think, becoming less and less relevant. And uh, with GNC, because it's becoming less and less relevant, you need less and less of a retail footprint here in the United States. Bruce, do you know much about the company that's, that invested all this money? Like, do you, or do you know how Chinese companies approach those bureaucracies? Like, do they just level well, up and what I, what I know about it is, you know, they're a real big pharmaceutical company that has gotten a lot of money, I think, from, you know, PE and hedge funds. So it's really, you know, almost like the LLC that owns the LLC kind of a thing. Okay, so there's other companies behind the Harbin. It's in Har I can't think of their name, but they're located in Harbin. It's in northern China. It's a beautiful part of the country. It's nice and cold up there. Um, but whoever, whoever is really the the you know uh, Oz behind the curtain, so to speak. Okay, <laughs> I, I mean you got to wonder what the red game is. If it really is just you know the PE firm that's controlling Harbin Pharmaceuticals, then. You know, I don't know, maybe they're just gonna, you know, try to milk it for everything it's worth and don't care what happens five to 10 years from now. Or maybe it's not, maybe they really wanna just, you know, change what what it means to be GNC. And yeah, you, you mentioned Central America and in India and all those other places too, but they're important, don't get me wrong, but I think that the Chinese are probably focusing on China as a market, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they're, they're the experts. So, you know, that's, that's where um, I think they're gonna invest the most. I, I just would be really, stunned and shocked if they just decided to open up a whole bunch of like GNC stores in front you know mall fran franchise stores or corporate owned stores uh, in China in malls I mean that would to me be be a, a cataclysmic mistake Josh is definitely point on where they need to invest in you know the brand integrity as a brand as a value as of how Chinese and American and any customer worldwide views um, GNC is maybe a Halo brand, or you know the other brands that they own is Halo brands, and how they can keep that going and maybe expand it because um, th that really caught, caught me kind of off guard. Not the fact that somebody had to give them money. I think I think everybody in the industry had heard rumors that they needed money by the end of February. Okay, it was just how little, relatively speaking, it was, and and how much you know that company got for relatively little money. That was just uh you really like stopped me dead in my tracks. Mm. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I mean, do you think that they, I mean, I guess they needed the money and I guess if you're broke, you, you take what you can get, but don't you think that they kind of gave up a lot, relatively speaking, for 
you know, a lifeline? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're midstream on a restructuring plan right now. I mean, in terms of, I'll make a positive comment that in like their comp sales um, stores are positive. Um, they are kind of getting uh, profitability back in the stores. They're they like the the I don't remember what they call it the new GNC or I don't remember what their exact kind of what they're calling it, but they changed the kind of the pricing model and their membership um, like thing. And, and that is that has been working, um, just not at the pace that it needs to to pay off some of this debt load and and, and a bunch of different things. So you know they are making good progress, um, and that's. And that's obviously against the whole umbrella of macro, what's going on in the industry in terms of digital and you know, all these different things, but they are doing what they need to do to keep things running as smooth as possible. Um, you know, I could probably talk about like domestically different kind of things that maybe they could you know, pivot to or move to or whatever, well, but, at the end of, for that. but at the end of the day, yeah, early. but at the end of the day, I mean, it, it is, it is, um, I think that they are making the moves that are in front of them. I mean, my, my main job in terms of what I do for brands is a lot of times it's like, you're looking at a strategic map and you have a decision A, B in front of you and you have to make a decision A, B, and then it goes, you know, kind of, so whatever decisions in front of them, they're making the decisions that they seem is best. Now, obviously we don't, we can't tell this, the future, so we don't really know. But I think, you know, the other option, and Bruce kind of mentioned earlier, is like the other option is like you just don't exist anymore. So you have to kind of make these like moves, regardless if it's, you know, everybody. I mean, we could point to multiple companies that have made, you know, you have kind of like money needs, you have to pay off debt loads, whatever, and you have to give up a certain amount of equity and it might not be worth what you were before but like that's your only lifeline at this point and or a really bankruptcy filing you yeah. know just run it through yeah. that i mean and that's you know you don't ever want to see that obviously if you can help it but the one interesting point that i want to make that we haven't brought up yet is gnc as a corporate entity sells a lot of stuff on amazon.com mm -hmm. okay so i mean i mean what does that tell you i mean infer as you will to me it tells me that even gnc realizes that the you know, it's uh, sure it's just another channel to sell stuff. I mean, if I'm a GNC person, I would definitely you know toe that line. We're just trying to maximize our sales any way we can, and Amazon is a place obviously to sell it, but um, and, and sell it big. But uh, the, the fact that you know that they're at that point where you know Amazon is a, a viable sales channel, or, or maybe even a big sales channel for them, I don't know the exact numbers. To me, is just you know this kind of a staggering statement. Well, I mean, we talked about it in an earlier video. Like, you cannot like not be on Amazon. Like they're like it is such a big humongous elephant grill whatever you want to call it like in the room like you like if if the most popular search engine for consumer products is Amazon and people are first going to that over Google and searching for whatever pre-workout this that or whatever you need to be on there. Like you can't you know you can't divert that traffic over to somewhere else. Like if somebody's naturally going somewhere to do a search and they have the ability to purchase not only just search but purchase on that same site why would you not be on there? Like you well, could, I would make, if I was GNC, and it, and it hasn't worked for them so far, and I, you know, maybe it won't in the future, but I would make a huge investment in my D2C and my website. Because me personally, I never found their website to be all that attractive or easy to use. I know so many bugs and they won't even respond anyway. Right, so I mean, it, yeah, that's where I interact. spend the money and, and, Dude, and come up with a, you know, awful. don't use like the Fisher Price, you know, underlying architecture, you know, get the tip top, Kind of stuff. Spend the money and, and have uh, you know the best possible website that anybody's ever seen, so you can you can get more you know direct to consumer you know traffic and maximize 
your, your, your gross margin on every sale you get. Because don't forget, every time it sells on Amazon, you're, you're still gonna give Amazon its fees, in and out fees and shipping. So you're gonna make more money doing D to C. So I, I would think that, it, it, like you said, if it's gonna be digital, having a very robust website uh, to handle web traffic and make it easy and desirable and maybe content driven so people want to go there um, might might be something they think about you know that maybe shifts into a different topic uh, another one that's oh, very content cool. generated body you guys can keep going uh, say body awesome all right well we're gonna sign up but you can subscribe to price plow's youtube channel because we have a lot more coming apparently until until bruce burns out over here but thank you uh, thank you for watching thank you gentlemen for coming thank you bruce for thank coming you. here to texas and you can subscribe All right, guys, we're back to wrap this up, man. The final spin this on is the like stem. The, the final, what is Final spin on the stem. Final spin, that is, that's, well, that's a title. All right, cool. <laughs> so we're back with the Bruce Neller. Red Hill. We the, have been Red Hill. This isn't the curvature one, because we no. already had that. No, so I, I, I didn't see any curvature of the earth. I don't know, it was just straight focus, no crash, and... So what I want to say after the last video, in the afternoon I did want to do a little bit more caffeine. I took a DMHA power pre-workout, half a scoop, nothing crazy, and I felt a little bit dirty. And I was like, you know what? I but, would much hey, rather have. You motherfuckers are millennials watching this, and when he says dirty, dirty bad. that's bad. It's you know, not like, good. Dirty inside. You know, like, I know, and, and it's, honestly, I wanted more of the Bruce stem than uh, to do that DMHA caffeine pre-workout. I, I just had a better ride with Bruce's stuff. I told you, but, man, yeah, it was you're, good, you're man. Right. Yeah. I was ahead, I felt like I, I was ahead of you on the road. Like, like, I got the good from that's it, fine. like, faster than you did. Yeah. And that's true. Know, and, I was, and, 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 and I'm empty stomach too. Oh, that's right. So that was weird. But yeah, you're right. Huh. Yeah, I'm, yeah. With, I'm with you. I, and I really, I wish Bruce all the best luck to uh, to get this thing patented, get this out on the market because I think Bruce, hurry up, man. Yeah, Bruce, we ended up. Hurry up with this, man. Like, I can't, now that I've tasted, I've got a taste, I see what you did. This would got be, me so he gave us one-third of what he would consider the max dose that any brand's allowed to do. I think in a pre-workout setting, I would like to do half of that. So a little bit more than the one-third we got, but not too much more. Oh, and so okay. I thought you meant half of what we had. I was like, fuck. No, 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 oh, half of that, yeah. So I want all of it. Right, so like one-sixth more or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I think it's gonna be a great pre-workout stem. And so a lot of these uh, other stems coming out, uh, it might be good for thermogenics, they're hot, there's like good fat burner ones, but we want a workout stem. Let's be realistic, and you want a focus stem in a lot of times, and I yeah. think this covers that. So Yeah, I'll be honest with y'all, man. I'm actually, I am a huge fan of obviously like the nootropic stems and like anything that's gonna give me more of a dialed in feeling. That's why I like DMAA, that's why I like some of these nootropic powders now. That's what I was hoping for with Dynamine. I mean, I'm not saying the Dynamine, I like it's, it. It's good. Yeah. I like it. It's a little something extra. I like this a lot better. Though. Yes. And so, you know, I don't know, man. Like, I guess now it's the waiting game. You know, he's teased me, but I'm excited, yeah, man. I'm super excited. We're waiting excited. on the government, so I don't know. But at the end of the day, very positive. Wish we could, you know, take more to get more reviews because, you know, we don't like to review something just once off the bat unless it's a flavor review. Hey, you think we don't you can have give that me chance. some if I, like, sign, like, a waiver or something? Dude, first one's free, but after that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, subscribe to Price Plow. You've got to watch all these other videos with Bruce that we've made throughout this process. I'm not sure when CJ is going to publish this one versus the others, but either way, this has been a crazy good day, and it has been powered by Bruce's Red Pill, and we've had some Red Pill conversations. Welcome to Price Plow.